get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think Wainwright and Molina will return to the Cardinals. I, I, I talked to Wainwright a couple weeks ago. He said he was mulling a couple offers, but you could just tell the way he was talking that St. Louis was still on his mind. I haven't talked to anybody with Molina's camp lately, um, but it's my understanding that somehow, some way, they're going to find their way back there. That was Jesse Rogers on with Carriker and Smallman. I think that was earlier this week with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We officially have updates, Alex. Real tangible updates on Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, and Colton Wong. Let's start with, well, let's go individually with all three of these, okay? Let's start with Wayno. According to Derek Gould, Adam Wainwright has received several competitive offers. And one of the current offers is from the San Diego Padres. This post-dispatch has confirmed. Again, that came from Derek Gould. So here's where I'm at with Wayno. I would like to have him back. I'm all for the Cardinals bringing him back. However, if the Padres are one of the teams, and if there's several teams that are all legitimate contenders going into next year that have offered him a competitive salary... I think it might be best for the Cardinals to let him go because if you can spend that money elsewhere, if you can reallocate that those funds into a place that you think can better help your team going into next season, I think that might be the best way for this team as currently constructed with the number of arms that they have to be able to be competitive going into next year. I'm all in favor of Wayno coming back, but if he's going to get into a little bit of a bidding war and we're going to get into the 10, $12 million range for him, I think the best case scenario for the Cardinals competitively might be to let him walk. The only thing I'm hesitant about with Adam Wainwright not coming back is what we talked about yesterday of there's going to be a lot of piggybacking and there's going to be a lot of arms that might be going short distance. And if that's the case, your depth looks a little different in my opinion, because you don't have Dakota Hudson. You're still unsure with miles Michaelis, although all signs pointing towards him being healthy. Without Wainwright, you go from having five guys and then another five in the bullpen to having seven, eight, or nine guys that are going to be piggybacking off of each other. And I want a little certainty. And Wainwright gives me certainty. Here's the problem, though. I'm with you. If this is more than $8 million, unfortunately, I just I don't think it's the right thing to do. And it would be a one-year deal, and it's not hurting the Cardinals at all. 
but it's the long term. Yeah, long term, but it's just it's one of those it's it's one of those understanding your depth things. It's the same with the outfield. And I look at it that way with the pitching. I, I want to know what some of these guys are. And if Wainwright's here and if he's making 10, 12 million dollars like some of these competitive offers might be, he's not going to get those opportunities or the other guys aren't going to get those opportunities. Yeah, and I'm with you. I, if it's eight to ten million dollars, you have the depth. And as I mentioned a couple days ago, yeah, let's see these, some of these younger guys get a chance. Plus, I'd like to see if the eight to ten million maybe for Wainwright and maybe if you had to get into a bidding war let's put that in somewhere on someone on the offense let's improve the offense third I think base the, maybe yeah <laughs> third third base second base maybe I, I think maybe an outfielder oh wow we got a lot of holes don't do that T-bone uh, but I, I would like to see it go towards the offense I have faith in the pitching it's the offense that scares me 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 guys any money that this Cardinals team saves though would just end up going back into DeWitt's pockets I think that's a question to ask would they reallocate that money elsewhere are they going to spend it on a third baseman second baseman outfielder are they going to be able to or willing to go out there and try to get somebody to upgrade the offense with the money that they're saving from Wayno? the answer to that is undetermined I don't know if it's Wainwright versus bringing in somebody to help the offense I think I'd lean towards the offense but if it's Wainwright versus not making a move well, then I would rather bring back Adam Wainwright for sentimental reasons and because he does make your team better. There's no doubt about that. He was arguably their best starting pitcher, most important, certainly starting pitcher last season. Now let's go over to the Yadier Molina sweepstakes. This also comes from Derek Gould. Molina continues to weigh an offer from the Cardinals to return for the 2021 season and await an improved offer that would clinch the decision for him. There is a very important distinction between what Gould reported from Wayno to what Gould is reporting from Yachty. On Wayno, he said he has several competitive offers. On Yachty, he says he continues to weigh an offer from the Cardinals, awaiting a potential improved offer that would clinch the, clinch the decision. I don't think Yachty has multiple offers. I think what we're seeing here is his options have come down to do I want to return for the Cardinals or am I willing to retire? I think it might be an A versus B proposition for him. And if that's what it is, good on the Cardinals. I got to give them full props. They read this market and I think that they were proven correct with what's going to happen with Yadier Molina. And I think he's going to be back here in St. Louis next year on an offer that they feel comfortable with. Can I give you an option C? Uh-oh. Oh, God. That's is right. it tinfoil time? Tinfoil time, baby. Oh, no. Now, I don't know if anybody's keeping a close eye on Yadier Molina's Instagram post, but he just posted a little bit ago a black and white photo of he and Adam Wainwright walking off the field, and underneath it said, brothers with praying hands. So rather than returning to the Cardinals, or rather than retiring, what if the San Diego Padres are back into this conversation? Because if Adam Wainwright's got a strong offer from San Diego, and if we remember correctly, the report from the post-dispatch of, well, we're going to play together if we have the opportunity to. Are we looking at San Diego now? A little tinfoil time. Don't they already have the catchers that they need, though, going into next year? Because they have Victor Caratini, okay. who they got from the Cubs. So he's, he's going he's to catch for you, Darvish. Absolutely. Okay, so they that's one game. also have Austin Nola, okay. who was pretty good in the postseason for them last year. Let me ask you this. Are either of those guys Hall of Famers? <laughs> no, they are most certainly not. 
just going to throw that out there. You got two potential guys that could be on the market that could help out your ball club. I mentioned the same thing earlier today <laughs> to Dan. He didn't love the idea. He okay. wasn't into me reading too much into. So he doesn't like the tinfoil Ferrario then. Maybe not. However, just because the Padres were the team that was mentioned for Wayno doesn't mean they're the only team. Oh, no. Yeah. That is out there for Wayno. Dan mentioned the White Sox, not reporting that they also have offered, but saying that that could be an interesting squad as well, reuniting with Tony. Don't discount that, too. Especially young pitching staff like the White Sox have. Like, you want a veteran presence in there that could help kind of guide them. And I think that's a smart, smart, uh, at least tinfoil. Look at Danny Mack getting in on the tinfoil yeah, Ferrario right. stage as well. I. I think the White Sox makes more sense to me rather than the Padres. The Padres, they have such great pitching depth now. I don't know. Oh, I think they make a lot of sense for Wayno. If you're them going into next year, the Cardinals have all of the depth in the world. The Padres yeah. don't have that. They, it feels like it right now. But when you get into the season and some of these start, guys start going down to injury and they already have some injury questions in that rotation, I think it makes sense to bring in a guy that gives you a little bit more depth in that yeah. rotation. But unlike the Cardinals, I think the Padres have, I'm trying to run through all the names they've acquired, two aces, maybe three. The Cardinals, I look at them and I just go, Flaherty's an ace, the rest is depth. <laughs> you said three. I'm thinking they have four aces on that club. Clevenger, Lamette, Darvish, oh, and Snell. I wasn't really including good. Clevenger because he's going to miss the year, but yeah, that's fair, four. Yeah, I forgot about that. Back to your Yachty thing, though, um, BK. I know I sidetracked there on, with the tinfoil stuff, but you're right. The Cardinals did right by this, and everyone was questioning it. What the heck are you doing, John Mosellock? Give them the offer. They did the right thing because they knew that this market wasn't going to shift in the direction of $20 million per year for a Yachty or Molina. They said, we're going to wait this out. Yachty, if you get an offer, we'll match it or we'll talk about it. But if not, this offer standing for you. So the disrespectful offer that was there, that was the right move by the Cardinals. And now I would imagine they either leave it or you adjust a little bit to at least sweeten the pot for Yadier Molina if he comes back. I think he's going to be back. I think I'm up to your 95%. You're there for Nolan Arenado at some point before the end of Arenado's career. Yep. I think I am there that Yadier Molina will finish his career here in St. Louis. I think at this point it has become clear to me not getting the offers elsewhere as much as we can talk about the tinfoil Ferrario <laughs> theories. And by the way, our text line coming in with another one, black and white picture. We know that the Chicago White Sox right. wear black and white. Cue the tinfoil there as well. God bless that texter. He gets it. I am I am all on board. 95% Yadier Molina will be back in St. Louis. Last one to get to, the last report from Derek Gould. He said as the free agent infielder signing this week shifted the market spotlight to second baseman Colton Wong, the Cardinals have still not actively pursued a reunion, end quote. I think it's over. As much as I'm at the 95% that Yachty is back. You 5% on the opposite side? I'm pretty much at the 95% <laughs> that Colton Wong will not return going into next year for the Cardinals. I think there's two or two possible explanations on this one. Option number one, and this is my hopeful, this is my optimistic BK option. They have another option that they like better to finish out their infield. I don't know who that guy is. Maybe it's your guy, Jonathan Scope. Maybe it is making a trade for somebody that we haven't thought of. Maybe it's making a trade for somebody that we have thought of. Option B, the money is so tight right now that they simply can't afford to make this kind of a move where 
it seems like Wong has a pretty decent market. There are multiple teams that would be interested in him. He's getting above seven, eight million dollars probably for next season. And the Cardinals say to themselves, that's just not a move we can make financially right now. I think those are the two options. Either they have another guy they like better or they simply can't afford to make these moves because there's no way, in my opinion, that they can possibly feel comfortable with their current infield as is currently constructed. Yeah, I mean, you know that they're excited about Tommy Edmond, and if he gets the everyday second baseman, then that would make sense. They're not excited about Matt Carpenter, but you're stuck with Matt Carpenter, so that's there. But I'm going to go back to Matt Holiday's comments, and you know, I oh, we're going to get into that. I know. <laughs> I mean, he must be the ultimate tinfoil supporter here. But <laughs> I, I mean, look, you're not putting that out there unless there's something into it. And I do believe that there's a move that we haven't seen yet from this Cardinals team. Whether it is just Jonathan Scope, there's something out there that's going to make this team a better a better roster. He is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to our guy Joey Vitale coming up at 12:30. Our Blues analyst, but coming up next, former NHL general manager, former NHL player agent, former NHL player <laughs> Brian Lawton's done it all in the league, and he's going to join us to talk about the Blues coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Squat to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Thrilled to be joined by former NHL player, NHL agent, and (laughs) NHL general manager. Brian Lawton's done it all in hockey. He joins us now here on 101 ESPN. By the way, he is now on NHL Network. Brian, we always appreciate the time, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're doing fantastic, Brian. It's great to talk with you, buddy, on the uh, the day of Game 2 between this Blues and Golden Knights team, which I'm sure everyone over at NHL Network's just as excited about as we are here in St. Louis. Uh, let me start with this for you, Brian, because as BK mentioned, you've touched pretty much every spectrum when it comes to the NHL. I'm curious your angle on the officiating issues, at least we're seeing from the St. Louis games this season. And maybe it's not an issue, but we're seeing a lot of penalties called. Do you think that's just the early portion of the season, or is that just the fact that the Blues are playing undisciplined? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I think the officials are not unlike the players in that it was a short ramp-up time. You know, you're you're kind of off in la-la land. You're not sure what's going to happen. Boom, you're back. You're you're officiating games. It's moving quickly. Uh, I think you got to expect the officials are going to take a little time to round into shape. There were a couple of early blunders that didn't look well for the officiating crews, and I think they got. I think they were severely talked to about straightening some of those things out, and that's kind of amped the pressure up even more. So I'm not sure that's helped. That's my opinion of what's happened thus far. Brian, do you fear when you've got a situation like what the Blues are dealing with right now of retribution going into this game tonight? Because there was what the Blues seem to believe was a dirty hit on Tyler Bozak, and he's now out with what has uh, been rumored to be potentially being in the concussion protocol. Do you fear when you have a situation like that retribution on the ice tonight? Boy, you know what? When I played, yes. Now, I don't see it as much. I I, I think players have accepted the fact that, you know, when I played, you had to kind of settle that yourself as a team. But now that's the league has really stepped in and taken a bigger role, and they are more proactive, and they are more aggressive. 
So, no, I, I see that very, very little, to be honest with you. I don't see it being a problem. So, Brian, what have you taken away from this Blues and Golden Knights game? I know it's only been one, and there's seven more that are going to be played between these two, but much like that Blues and Avalanche series that we saw earlier this season, I think this one is a little bit more of an excitement when it comes to watching because they're so similar in how they play. Yeah, they really are. They're two big, fast teams that can lock it down. Um for me, though, you know, the story of, of the West is clearly the battle between what will be St. Louis, Vegas, and Colorado. I think those three teams have just separated themselves with their past history and their players on the roster. They still have to go out and prove that. And it's been very up up and down for certainly Colorado. Not as much Vegas, although they've had their moments. Uh, but St. Louis has a little bit. You know, we've seen some really great games like their opener, and some not really great games, like the 8 nothing loss to Colorado. So uh, it's been interesting. I, I'm very bullish on the Blues. I, I like what they've done. Uh, I was concerned for them, and I still am a little bit, about the loss of Alex Petrangelo, of course. Uh, but I still think overall there's a lot of strength in their group, and they have as good a chance as anybody when it's all said and done to come out on top in the West Division. Brian Lawton joining us here on 101 ESPN. You can watch him on NHL Now, NHL Tonight, and on the fly throughout the NHL season, all on NHL Network. Brian, one thing the Blues are going to try to do for the first time tonight is win the second game in these two-game series. They have failed to do it in each of their first three series. That's been their big bugaboo so far this year. Have you noticed that elsewhere in the league? I know we we can get so bogged down in what's going on here locally with the St. Louis Blues. Have you noticed a similar trend with that throughout the league? I have. I think everybody, for the most part, uh, Toronto's had a little bit of success. Vancouver's having some success right now in Ottawa, playing them three in a row, up to nothing in that series. Uh, but for the most part, it's been a lot of what you've seen from the Blues. Win the first, lose the second, win the third, lose the fourth, even though that was a shootout to the Sharks that they lost. Uh, win the next one, lose the next one, win last game. You know, If that holds true, then, of course, they're going to lose tonight. But I, I think that'll start to flatten out. I do think it will continue with regard to the teams that are evenly matched, and I do believe that Vegas and St. Louis are pretty evenly matched. But I think as you see St. Louis go up against some of the other opponents in their division, the L.A.s, the San Jose's, teams that they have split with already, I I think you're going to start to see more dominance as teams continue to round out their form and you continue to see what they're made of. Brian, you mentioned you're bullish on this Blues team, and I think at least from the fans' perspective here in St. Louis, not too many people were bullish on Jordan Cairo coming into this season, but he has changed a lot of people's opinions. Uh, from what you've seen from this young forward, are you starting to look at him as a guy who can really crack and be a top-six forward for this Blues team in the future? Yeah, absolutely. He's made huge strides. He was a guy we identified before the first game of the year, just saying, look, if the St. Louis Blues are going to survive, and this may say sound strange, survive the loss of an Alex Petrangelo, you're going to need to have guys like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas step up. And, you know, how would that affect the loss of a defenseman? It just makes them that much stronger of a team. The, the Blues need some internal growth to reach a higher level. And, so far, in regards to Cairo, you're getting it um, a little bit more mixed on Robert Thomas's play, but it's still early, and he's certainly shown some glimpses. But I think 
there's more to get out of him, and it will be important for Barubi to figure out how to do that. I wanted to ask you about Robert Thomas because some of the issues that we've seen from him this year are really twofold. One, he has three shots on the season, which just, I mean, in seven games is is not enough from a guy like that. Even though he's not going to be a big scorer, you want to see a little bit more production from that angle. The other issue, Brian, and I wanted to ask you about this, is the lack of chemistry that he seems to have so far with his line mates. He's on that third line now that the Blues have put Braden Shin back at center How long in your experience does it take for guys to really develop that chemistry, especially with a guy like Mike Hoffman, who has been such a good player in his in his history, but just hasn't seemingly clicked for him quite yet in this blue system? Well, first off, tell me who you believe is going to play on that other side with Bozak, obviously not supposed to play from what I'm told. Who will be the third guy on that unit besides him and Hoffman? Sounds like it's going to be Sammy Blay, at least for tonight's Maybe game. Maybe Sonny. It'd yeah. probably be one of those two, either Sunquist or Sammy Blay. Yeah, I like either one of those guys, quite frankly. I think that line has all the mixture that you want to see to be successful. Uh, Thomas and Hoffman. Mike Hoffman is a pure goal scorer, but he also is kind of an acquired taste as to how to play with him. And that obviously has taken, it's taken Mike a little bit of time to find some chemistry with anyone, quite frankly, there. He's a guy that I expect to score at a 25 to 30 goal rate. Uh, Robert is going to have to figure out, though, how he fits in with that. He's a guy that can handle the puck. I don't like the fact that the number of shots he has is so low. That's just unconscionable, in my opinion, for a guy with his talent in seven games to have so few shots. I'm not surprised he doesn't have any goals with that, and yet he is a gifted playmaker as well. So I expect a lot more from him. I expect him and Hoffman to just, you know, without a real training camp this year, without exhibition games, I was thinking about Mike's plight the other day. Uh, It has to be challenging for any new players coming into a team to try to figure it out so quickly with so little time. Uh, That will get better because Mike Hoffman is a quality player. Robert Thomas, on the other hand, you know, he's still young enough where there's still things to figure out about how you come to the rink every day to be as good as you can be. I don't think he's anywhere near where he could be. I just think because we've seen glimpses of really greatness from him in the past, it want, it makes you want it sooner, sooner than it may take. So we'll see what happens with him. I still like him. I think he's a great player. I just th- I just don't think I've seen that consistency that he's capable of giving. Brian, from a player and a general manager's perspective, how, how, how much time does a guy like Mike Hoffman need to get acclimated? Is that the biggest struggle he's dealing with right now of not having that proper training camp and preseason? And, and it seems like he's just trying to throw everything into the game as fast as possible, which is resulting in him kind of, kind of going silent. Yeah, uh, in a normal year, I would tell you 20 games. The problem is he doesn't have 20 games right. to figure it out. <laughs> he, he's going to have to figure it out by 10, 12 games. Otherwise, he's going to have a, a loss of confidence in him, and it's easy to get left behind. Mike's a veteran. He'll recognize this. He'll realize this. It's ramping the pressure up. Uh, but he's been around the block. This is his third team now. Um, you know, He's a quality player. He's a consistent, reliable player. And yet it just takes time when you change organizations. So hopefully the fans can remain patient and more importantly, his teammates. Because most of these guys know him as a proven player. You see Mike Hoffman on the other side. You know what he's going to do. He's a shooter. He gets any time and space. He'll bury. Uh, I expect him 
to really pick it up. And at the end of the day, when I look at Mike's career, he's one of those guys that will leave you wanting more at times when he's a little silent. I'm hoping that this is just him being a little silent early on because no matter what, he ends up with a specific amount of goals and the rate that he scores them at in his career, it's been really impressive. We're talking with Brian Lawton here on 101 ESPN. Brian, last thing that I wanted to get to with you is the Vince Dunn situation here in St. Louis because there have been reports that the Blues are potentially looking to trade Vince Dunn. He's a good player. He's a guy that might not be a great fit in St. Louis, but I do think could be a nice fit elsewhere. When you're in a situation like this with the Blues, it's very early in the season, but they do have a guy that can fill in for him in Nico Mikola. How do you handle this as a general manager, kind of trying to sort through, okay, Vince, we, we still need you to play a little bit, but yes, your name is included in trade talks. How do you smooth that over and manage everything as a general manager? You know what? That's just part of the job, and I think the players accept it. It's never easy. It always helps to communicate. You know, and and I think it's incumbent upon Doug Armstrong to, you know, really set the tone of how that communication goes. Uh, For Vince Dunn, you know, he's a guy that has so much promise. And yet, you know, we haven't seen it this year. Uh, I can tell you in speaking with other teams, and I speak with other teams often, his name comes up a lot. He is definitely a person of interest. If the Blues do, in fact, want to move him, they will be able to get uh, what I would consider fair value for him. That's not always easy for a young player, but his stock is still pretty good. There's a lot of people that look at it and think he's just not the right fit for this team. That may ultimately be the case, but there are teams that definitely like him. I could think of four or five right off the top of my head that I won't mention, <laughs> but uh, have specifically in the past asked me what I know about Vince Dunn. Do, what do you think that uh, value would be? Do you think they could get a first-round pick for him? Uh, I do believe that uh, right now they can't, but in time they will. Interesting. If that's the direction they decide to go. How long do you think they should wait before they could get legitimate value like that for him, in your opinion? I think that because they have a replacement for him that they're comfortable with, I think they can wait uh, all the way up until the draft, quite frankly. Interesting. He's Brian Lawton, former NHL player, agent, and general manager. You can watch him on NHL Now, NHL Tonight, and on the fly throughout the season. Blackhawks versus Blue Jackets is on NHL Network tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Brian, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again soon. Alex, Brandon, thank you as always for having me on. Absolutely. That is Brian Lawton joining us here on 101 ESPN. We would typically react to what we just heard there. However, we do have a little bit of breaking news for you, Alex Ferrario. Do we? I don't think that's going to be a reaction. Breaking news alert. According to Frank Saravalli, he's hearing that there are additional positive tests in Vegas among the Golden Knights. And according to him... The game against the Blues may be postponed. He is waiting on official word. So no news yet there officially as to whether or not tonight's game against Vegas will be postponed. Listen, this this was going to happen. I was going to say, this doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it was an in, in inevitability that yeah. whether it be tonight or another night, there were going to be games that were postponed, maybe canceled. We've seen it all across the league. It's, it's frankly a... Minor miracle that the Blues haven't been included in a situation like right. this just yet. There's been a lot of teams that have been affected. 
Um, and we know that their entire coaching staff the other night right. was in quarantine. And that's the part that I had mentioned with Joey when we were doing this week in hockey. And I mean, look, the, the Vegas Golden Knights did the right thing in quarantining the coaches because at the time they had no positive tests. They just did that as precaution to make sure that they didn't have any issues with their season. But look, I mean, those coaches are around the players like you're in your locker rooms. You can wear the masks as much as you want, but we know that even the mask doesn't protect you. So this was bound to happen. Yeah, yeah. this was bound to happen. And frankly, I'm not surprised, especially when Kelly McCrimmon, their general manager, after that loss on on uh, Tuesday night, said that they're going to close down their facilities. So hopefully it's not postponed. But if it is, hopefully it doesn't have a lingering effect on either the Blues or the Golden Knights. Yeah, again, this comes from Frank Saravalli of TSN up in Canada saying uh, he is reporting that there are additional positive tests. Um, He put the S in in parentheses, so it might be one, might be multiple in Vegas among the Vegas Golden Knights. And tonight's game against the St. Louis Blues may be postponed. We will let you know as we go along here today what the official word is on that. Um, we'll certainly check in with people as well to see if we can find anything out. But that is coming from Frank Saravalli. That is the word right now. Additional positive tests, maybe multiple in Vegas among the Golden Knights. And it's possible that tonight's game is postponed. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's official, boys. Deshaun Watson is getting out of Houston. Where's he going to end up? And is this going to be a trend for quarterbacks in the future? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Houston Texans would tell you, I'm sure that one of the things that appealed to them about David Coley was that they felt that he might be able to get an audience with Deshaun Watson and change his mind. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I'm highly skeptical that whoever they hired would have been able to change Deshaun Watson's mind. I don't think that will happen. Okay, so Deshaun Watson's getting traded. That's that's going to have to happen. According to Adam Schefter earlier today, after that report on ESPN, he then updated it on his Twitter account saying, quote, Deshaun Watson officially has requested a trade from the Houston Texans. He actually did this weeks ago. The new head coaching hire, David Culley, has not altered Watson's thinking. Sean Watson has not spoken to the new Texans general manager, Nick Casario, nor has he spoken with Jack Easterby, the guy that is basically the football czar. The chaplain. Previously, the team chaplain. Uh, Watson is moving on, and he is waiting to see where his NFL future takes him again. That is all according to Adam Schefter. Hold on, BK. Hiring a wide receivers coach that's 60-plus years old is not... Older than Andy Reid. He's not going to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston? Apparently not. (laughs) Apparently that is the thinking. Um, I think he's getting traded. I I think it's going to happen because I don't think the Texans have a choice. I think he is doing what we saw Carson Palmer do in Cincinnati. What was this? A a decade ago, like 20 years ago, he'd basically told the Bengals, I'm done. I'm sick of being here. This organization is a mess and I'm not playing football until you trade me. And he threatened retirement and he actually did it. And he ended up being out of there after a while. And they, they had to acquiesce to his demands. I think the same is true here for Deshaun Watson And as we look around at who the potential teams could be that would trade for him, also keep in mind, 
he has a no trade clause in his contract, which means he determines where he goes. If he doesn't want to go to a place similar to the James Harden situation with the Rockets, God, I feel bad for Houston fans. Um, He got to decide I will or will not go to team X, Y, and Z. And if, if the team decides, Hey, that's the best offer for us. And it's sending Deshaun Watson to a crappy team that he doesn't want to go to. He can just nix it and say, Nope, that's not on my list. Find team one, two or three for me. And then find out what the offer is. And he can demand that it's unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of football, a 25 year old superstar quarterback, top five quarterback in the league. I don't think we've ever seen a trade like this happen before. And it's, it's absolutely stunning to me that it's been so mismanaged in Houston that we are actually arriving at this point. So I'm wondering what the trickle down effect with this is, because if, if I'm other players in Houston, like if I'm JJ Watt and I see the fact that Deshaun Watson is demanding his trade out and they've hired this guy, they have a team chaplain as their new general manager. I'm wanting out it. Like, how do you have buy-in from your team? If you're the Houston Texans right now, when you get a coach that's brought in and the quarterback says, no, nope, I don't want to be here with this guy. And they want and he wants out like some of those guys. Of course, they're young. They're in the NFL. They don't care. But I'm thinking guys like J.J. Watt and some of these other players. I'm, I'm oh, he's got to be gone. Yeah, I'm wanting out. I mean, it is going to it is going to turn into a fire sale in Houston Texans right now because nobody is going to want to be a part of that roster anymore. I'm I'm really scared of the ramifications, like you mentioned, of what this does. Because, look, I understand why he wants out. I don't blame him for wanting out. He is a superstar that's talent is being wasted in a dis, uh, disorganized organization that doesn't know what the heck they are doing. But I am afraid of what this is going to do going forward for the NFL. Because, look, as exciting as it is in the NBA to see all these superstars get dealt around— I don't it want sucks. that to become the NFL because yeah. no, the fan base can't root for somebody. Well, it sucks in the NBA. I mean, look, it's fun when you get super teams together, but it sucks for the Houston Rockets when James Harden's not around. You know, it sucked for Oklahoma City when Kevin Durant went as free agent and signed elsewhere. You want those guys to be the players that you're rooting for. You're you're you've grown up around those players, right? Like in St. Louis, it sucked when Albert Pujols left because you want that. That's different though than when you demand trades and demand to be sent away from the team. It's kind of like spitting in the face of your fans. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing against Deshaun because I understand where he's at, but as a fan base I think the owner did that to the fans. The owner did that. They basically put it together. But as a fan base, that's what you're getting. You're kind of getting a punch to the gut from their quarterback that you've wanted to see win a Super Bowl for you. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be a trend for quarterbacks because I don't think most quarterbacks have the leverage that Deshaun Watson has right now. Most quarterbacks, if they did this... Sam Darnold can't demand to be traded out of New York. (laughs) Most quarterbacks, if they did this, the team would say... Okay, go ahead and retire. We don't care. Like that's fine if you and there are there isn't demand out there enough for that player that they could just be like, no, here's the team that I'm you're going to send me to as well. The reason why this is possible for Deshaun Watson in the NFL is that he does have that leverage. There's probably 20 teams in the league right now that should be making a call, and if their general manager isn't making a call, they should be fired. Yeah, because having this guy available is it. It doesn't happen. It never happens. Peyton Manning becoming available on the free agent market happens because he had neck neck fusion surgeries. Um, Drew Brees being available on the open market is possible because he literally failed a physical with the Dolphins because his shoulder was so messed up. People didn't know if he was going to be able to play at a high level again. 
having a quarterback like this available, I know it's not free agent market, but you've already got the contract signed. He's locked in for the next few years. That's the part that still confuses the hell out of me. Why, why, if you're Deshaun Watson, why would you even sign that contract? You had already seen De- DeAndre Hopkins traded away. You knew Bill O'Brien was going to be gone. If I'm him, why are, why am I signing that contract? Because you're still in, you are still in control of your future. You are getting handed $75 million guaranteed the moment that you signed the contract. But if so, he would have gone to free agency, wouldn't have he gotten more at the time? He wasn't going to hit free agency for Let's another say, four years at the minimum. Oh, so he was still controlled by yeah, Houston. Yeah, because you've got multiple years on the contract still from the rookie deal, then the fifth-year option, then, then you've got two years of the franchise tag on top of that. So... He didn't have any control. He got a no trade clause in this deal. So he got actually more ownership of where he wanted to go moving forward. So technically, he and his agent are geniuses. Yeah. They knew they were doing this the moment he signed that contract. Well, I mean, worst case scenario, he stays there and is paid handsomely. Best case scenario, maybe actually it's the opposite. Yeah. Best case scenario, <laughs> you stay there, you're paid handsomely, and the organization gets its stuff together. Worst case scenario is this, and you still get to determine okay, I'm going to go to this organization where I think I'm going to be in a better spot. I'm not blaming Deshaun Watson for really any of this. I know it's messy. I know it's ugly. And it's not a scenario that any of us wanted to see. I think the league is better, as you said, uh, Tanner, when these young quarterbacks stay in their markets. It's better when Tom Brady spends 20 years in New England. It's better when you see a guy like Joe Montana stay in San Francisco till the very end. And I know he ended up in KC. Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be better if he stays in Kansas City. Um, that That's better for the league, in my opinion. But when you have a team that is so unbelievably mismanaged that it gets to this point, that should tell you a lot about where that organization is right now. If you guys could put him, or let me put it a different way. If you guys could say the most realistic possibility that you think makes sense for Deshaun Watson, what would you go with at this point? Now that it does feel like this is actually going to happen. I think Miami. I, I would love to see him go to Miami, put him on that team. I don't think to a, an NFL caliber quarterback, and I know that's really early to say, but just watching him, and I understand he's coming from the hip surgery, I don't think he's a guy. To me, he's kind of a Lamar Jackson type where he's going to run, never really develop into a thrower. I think Deshaun Watson is the package for Miami. You get him. I think the Dolphins become a team that competes with the Buffalo Bills for the AFC East and heck, maybe could contend with the Chiefs maybe a year or two down the road if they have Watson for the AFC Championship. I, I like Miami, um, but I'm thinking more if I'm Deshaun Watson, I want to go to the NFC because I want to I want a better shot at the, the crop of players. So the two teams that come to mind, Chicago and Washington. Oh, I do not want to go to sh- Washington. Just because of the ownership. If he's trying to get away, get away from bad ownership right now in Houston, Dan Snyder in Washington would not be yeah, the team that I would want to go to. Bad ownership. Chicago's a little better. Chicago's a little better, yeah, but Washington's got the roster in place. And I'm thinking if I'm Deshaun Watson, I want to go somewhere. Yes, ownership is going to be important, but... Look, I mean, you were a part of really bad ownership, and it can't get worse than what Houston did. Washington might be worse. But they put together a good roster, at least. Sure. So if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm thinking my my chances, because what, he's got three years left on this contract before he then he's a free agent? You go three years, you have a chance at a Super Bowl, and then you cash out as a, as a as an unrestricted free agent, basically. But I like the Bears, and I like the Washington football team. The teams that make the most sense, because... It's difficult because he does have so much ownership over this that like if he doesn't want to go to the Jets, the, the Jets can't trade for him. They're not an option, even yeah. though they probably can put together the best package. 
They've got the number two overall pick. They've got another first round pick at number 23 overall this season. And they've got multiple first rounders in the future. That That's a clear and obvious. And they've got Sam Darnold that they could send to the Texans as well. Right. That makes a ton of sense. Same thing for the Dolphins. They make a ton of sense when it comes to the package that they could offer for Watson. But if he doesn't want to go to those teams, then then maybe it doesn't make sense. Um, you got to go to a team that's got a, a, a top first pick. I mean, Carolina he, makes some sense to me. I, they've got a ton of weapons out there. Yeah. Matt Rule, I think, is a pretty darn good uh, head coach right now. That's a team organizationally that seems to be moving in the right direction. They make some sense to me. He's from that area. Uh, they that wouldn't be a a bad spot for him. And it seems pretty clear they would like to move on from Teddy Bridgewater at this yep. point. So that that is one of the like sleeper teams that I would be interested in. Maybe Pittsburgh, too, is another one to keep an eye on. If Big Ben decides to retire, Pittsburgh could be an interesting landing spot Yikes. for Deshaun Watson. I'm not into it. No, I'm, it's not that I'm not into it. It's that uh, that's a scary damn team with Deshaun Watson on it for any other team in that AFC right now. Somebody says the Niners would be scary. That would be a great landing spot for Deshaun Can Watson. They pull it off. I mean, you got to flip Jimmy G. And yeah, but would, they could. Would Houston take Jimmy G? You could trade Jimmy G to New England. You know, and this is one of those things. Like the Niners cannot offer the best package. But if Deshaun Watson says, I'm only going to the 49ers, well, then they can Deshaun suddenly going, offer the best package. Deshaun you know? going to play with uh, Sh- uh, Sherman. Sherman's free agent this offseason. Oh, though. is he? So, yeah. Because yeah. he's uh, the one that uh, that tried to get him to go to New York. Mm-hmm. Stop stop him. I forgot <laughs> what his first name was. It was either Roger or Robert. Richard. Uh, there we 6, go. 5, 7, 8, <laughs> is here. Comfort service text line. We'll get into some questions and answers <laughs> coming up next. <laughs> This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you missed the news earlier today, Frank Saravalli of TSN is reporting that he's hearing there are additional positive tests, possible that it is only one in Vegas among Vegas Golden Knights in tonight's game against the Blues might be postponed. They are still awaiting word on that. David Schoen, who covers the team, the Vegas Golden Knights out in Las Vegas, tweeted just a moment ago he arrived at the arena the media is currently not allowed in the facility they're still awaiting more information on morning skate and the golden knights availability so it seems like if media is not allowed in yet it's trending in one direction and if there's positive tests maybe one maybe more um i'm not getting a great feeling about this and it's just if you're going to lean one way, you'd probably lean towards being careful. Well, and that's at the practice facility that David Schoen was reporting from. That's where the, the Vegas Golden Knights were for going to be practicing. The Blues, though, they're doing their morning skate currently on the ice at T-Mobile Arena. So they're going as if the game is going to be played. But yeah, I'm with you, BK. If they're not letting reporters in, it sounds like Vegas is trying to do kind of some damage control of, hey, we need to we need to figure out how to contain this and postpone this game before it affects more of the season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We just talked about Deshaun Watson and where we would like to see him go. We got this one. Guys, if money wasn't an object and you could place Deshaun Watson and Matt Stafford on your favorite fit, regardless of the money, where would you like to see them go? Watson in Stafford. If you can place them anywhere and you didn't have to worry about the contract situation, where would you like to see both of those guys end up? 
Storyline wise, I'd love to see Watson in Chicago because I think that's hilarious. But personally, I'd like to see him in Pittsburgh. I mean, him with Chase Claypool, and if they bring Juju Smith-Schuster back, they don't have a running game. Well, guess what? Now you do with Deshaun Watson. He's protected. They become a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. Matt Stafford, it's simple. I want him in Indy. I want a great quarterback in Indy, and I know people are going to say, well, why not put Deshaun? I think Matt Stafford would succeed and flourish with that group of players in Indianapolis. So that's where I'd put Stafford if I want some. In- I already know where you're going with this, Tanner. Oh, I'm not going to put him on the Rams. I'm not going to put him on the Rams. Let's put him on the Rams, please. No, hold off on the Rams, but that would be nice if one of those two went to the Rams. Uh, I would say for Stafford, I kind of agree with the Colts. I think I would love to see. I don't know if I know their owner says they want a veteran presence, so that would make sense yeah. to me. Watson is such a tough one ideal if I could just go with no money. I almost kind of want to lean, and this may be bold, to the New York Giants. Put him in a big market. Put him on the Giants. Get rid of Daniel Jones. I think they're a trending team. That's an interesting one, yeah. I I think it would be interesting to see him be put on that team. Because, again, I don't think Daniel Jones is their answer. He stinks. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. (laughs) Um, Now that we're hearing this stuff about Stafford and Watson, both of them make a lot of sense for Indy. If Derek Carr becomes available, he's going to make some sense in Indianapolis. They don't have an answer at the position. Their owner came out and said, we want a veteran. So any veteran that becomes available this offseason is going to be connected to them. I think Stafford's probably the best fit, the one that makes the most sense for them. Watson, I'm going back to San Francisco. What about New Orleans? New, New Orleans would make a lot of sense for yeah. Stafford as well. If we're not taking money into account, their their money situation, guys, oh, yeah. is screwed. a nightmare. Yeah. I'd Fielding a team for them next year, if the cap drops as much as they're expecting, is going to be difficult. So what? Well, why San Francisco, BK? I love that system for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. You think back to what we've seen from um, Kyle Shanahan in his past. He was the guy that was in Washington when RG3 had that tremendous rookie season. Imagine a souped up version of RG3, which is basically what Deshaun Watson is. In that offense with George Kittle and all those weapons that they have, Debo, Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, who was really good last year, and that running game, along with a pretty darn good defense. Oh, boy. Yeah, that would be fun. I'm in on that. I think they would be one of the most fun teams in the NFL to watch. Does Richard Sherman come back then? If they get the money right, Sherman's going to go where the money is, man. We know that about him. He is. He is not messing around when it comes to the money. But that would be that would be my spot that I would love to see him go. I think that's the ideal scenario. And I don't think it's outlandish to think that it could happen. He makes a lot of sense. As long as it's not the Rams. Hey, they can't make it happen. Money wise (laughs) with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie coming up next. Guys, I might be uh, fighting a losing battle when it comes to Jock Peterson. You are. I think Ferrario might win this one. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. A quick update on the Blues situation. If you missed it earlier, there appears to be additional positives uh, for, for positive tests, rather, for the Vegas Golden Knights. Jesse Granger covers the team for the Athletic. He's tweeted just a little bit ago. He's hearing that Golden Knights players have been told 
tonight's game against the Blues has been postponed. Nothing official from the league yet. Again, that coming from Jesse Granger, who covers the Golden Knights for the Athletic. He did also add, for what it's worth, the team is allowing the media to enter the practice facility and to enter their normal spots at the rink. So he thinks, eh, maybe that's good news. But all signs tend to be leading in the same direction. I, if I had to guess... Doesn't seem like this one's going to be played tonight, but again, we'll wait for official word from the league to see where this one trends. Um, all right. On the Cardinals. I have been fighting the good fight all off season Ferrario. I feel like I've done my very best effort yes. to convince you to convince Tanner, to convince our listeners. The answer to the problem that exists for the St. Louis Cardinals is Jock Peterson. Yeah, you are the president of that Jock Peterson fan club, left-handed hitter, could platoon in the outfield with Harrison Bader. When he's out there, you put Dylan Carlson in center. When he's not, you have Harrison Bader in center. 70% of the pitchers that you go up against happen to pitch from the right side. So he's going to play a lot. Basically a starting player for you. Never hit him against lefties, though. He's really bad in those situations. So, perfect Cardinal. Jock Peterson has a lot of power, and he's really good against right-handed hitting. Or right-handed pitching, rather. Makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. Right, Greg Amsinger? I don't think he should. They should sign Jock Peterson. Uh, I think Jock Peterson is a a talented baseball player, but the role the Cardinals are looking for is an an integral bat that's going to hit behind Paul Goldschmidt. Jock Peterson is not that guy. Jock Peterson is a perfect role player like he was with the Dodgers. So I've got a couple things on this. First of all, I actually agree with the point that he made there at the end. I don't think that Jock Peterson is some sort of end-all, be-all for the Cardinals. I don't think he immediately answers every problem that this team has in the lineup. I don't think any one player can do that. Nolan Arenado could. Uh, they still don't have a leadoff hitter, even if they get Nolan Arenado. They, they've Tommy got a, Edmonds, fine yeah. for me. The, it, it helps them. It, yeah. it, 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 it bridges that gap between the Cardinals and teams like the Padres and the Dodgers, but they're still not there. It fixes two problems rather than just one. Absolutely. Jock Peterson helps you. And that's all I've been trying to say is that you get better, significantly better, in my opinion, by adding Jock Peterson. I think he could be a five-hole hitter for you against right-handed pitchers going into next season, and you feel really good about it. He's a guy that profiles as a middle-ish order of the bat against right-handed pitchers who can be a clear-cut platoon option with Harrison Bader in the outfield, and he shouldn't be super expensive going into next season. So that's why I've been arguing in favor of Jock Peterson. That being said, if Greg Amsinger or anybody else is looking for a guy that is truly going to fix this lineup, then no, Jock Peterson's not their guy. I'm just of the opinion, I don't think they have anybody available that they're actually realistically going to acquire that is that guy. I think he helps you win the division, though. I think he helps you win the division, but I think you're already in a position that you are the favorite with that division. So, and when it comes to a Jack Peterson, if we're talking eight to $10 million, then yeah, I'd be like, okay, it's going to benefit this season. But from what we've seen with this market, I mean, I'm thinking you're getting either a multi-year deal with Jock Peterson, or you're talking somewhere between 10 and $12 million for him. And I would sign that deal. That That's the thing is where I think I differ from a lot of people seemingly clearly based on what Greg Hamsinger <laughs> said earlier today. I differ from a lot of people in that I value the fact that Jock Peterson is tremendous against right-handers. I value that, but I also, it's the same thing we always talk about. It's the outfield position. And look, 
Justin Williams' name needs to be brought up, right? Like, if this is the guy that they're hoping can be the Jock Peterson BK, he's got power. You acquired him in a trade for, uh, that was the Tommy Pham trade, correct? That you acquired Justin Williams in? This is a left-handed hitter. It's another outfield that you need to figure out. You're hoping he turns into that. And I know you're living off of hope, but I feel like this season where you already are the favorite with the NL Central, maybe you can get a little better with some of these unknown guys. I don't think you're a significant favorite, though. I think you've got a very slim margin for error right now. And if you've got guys that end up getting hurt or have some issues, I don't think that you're going to be the favorite by the end of the season. Potentially a guy like Jock Peterson expands that margin for error. And yes, it is quote unquote expensive given this market, but it's not a guy that's going to break the bank. $12 million is what you were expecting to spend for this upcoming season on Colton Wong. So it's not like it's this massive bloated salary that's going to harm you for years to come. That is, if it's a multi-year deal and it's like 3 and 30 or whatever, that's a tradable asset moving forward. If you end up getting better answers on other guys and you don't need a platoon piece anymore... You could still deal that kind of a contract to somebody else as long as he doesn't just totally go in the plunger, which is not to be expected. Yeah, but you just said it, though, there, too. I mean, you were expected to give Colton Wong one year $12 million, and you didn't do it. And he was somebody who does help you in an area that you need help with, one in terms of his bat. Now, it's not Jock Peterson's power. Jock but Peterson is significantly yes. better. Uh, at the plate, but you're giving yourself a better option at lead off with a Colton Wong, which is one issue we've talked about. And you're also fixing that issue in the infield with defense along with the speed. So if you're not going to spend that on Colton Wong, I don't see the point of spending it on a guy who, yes, he can be a five hole hitter for you, but a five hole hitter is not your issue. You got a five hole hitter and Paul DeYoung. No, you don't. (laughs) Well, he's a five. He's your cleanup hitter, right? He shouldn't be your cleanup hitter. I understand the issue, but I, I get it. But we've got to fix some of their issues that they have. We can't just continue saying like, hey, all of these issues exist, but eh, we'll figure that out eventually. Why why not try to plug some of these holes right now? If If it's not about winning the championship here this year, it should still be about winning. And for the Cardinals, a guy that helps you win this season whether it be Jock, who I personally prefer, or Eddie Rosario, one of those left handed bats out there, you brought up an interesting point earlier. I think this does come down to your willingness to believe in Justin Williams, because if you think Justin Williams is an answer for you when it comes to a left-handed bat out of the outfield, then you don't need Chuck Peterson. But if you're not buying in on that, and I'm personally not willing to buy in on Justin Williams, (laughs) because we've, we've seen no indication that they believe in him. He didn't blow up the minor leagues like a uh, Tyler O'Neill did, at least to the point of home runs. Think about how awful the outfield production was a year ago. Everybody got a chance. Everybody. They even tried putting Tommy Edmond out there multiple times. They never went to Justin Williams. Never. They never decided, you know what? Now's the chance when we're really struggling against righties. Now's the opportunity to get Justin Williams those opportunities. So if he's not going to get those chances then, well, why should I believe that he's going to get them now? It's kind of the same way that we've been talking over the offseason about what they're going to do with Kisner. If he didn't get the opportunities last year when Yachty was out, well, then why do I believe that they think he's going to be the answer going into next year? Right. Here's the thing for me, and I know we talked a lot about splits, and the problem is you don't have somebody who can offset the weakness of Harrison Bader, but I still want to see these guys. And again, we sound like broken records with this, but we're going off of what we're being told. I want to see Dylan Carlson as an everyday player. Give me that answer. I want to see Tyler O'Neill as an everyday player. Give me that answer so I don't have to sit here and wonder anymore. 
And then I want to see Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, Harrison Bader. I know what Harrison Bader is. Harrison Bader is a suitable player on a championship team if you fill the gaps around him. He's a guy that plays center field every time there's a um, left-handed pitcher on the mound. Yep. And he, he's a defensive substitution when you're up late in a game. But you need those players. you got to build around that. Give me... Give me an answer on the other four players right now rather than add another question mark into that outfield position. That's just where I've always been with this Jack Peterson. So we have a little bit more of an update coming from Las Vegas. According to David Schoen, uh, who covers the team, like we said, out in Las Vegas, he says that the Golden Knights morning skate has been canceled. A spokesperson said they are awaiting official word from the league on the status of tonight's game. There are also some other rumblings that it sounds like this one's going to get postponed. So that's seemingly where this is headed. But just wanted to give you a little bit of an update from the Vegas side of things um, as to where this is at right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it, including I want to have you guys listen to what Matt Holiday told me and Danny Mac yesterday on the Danny Mac show. <laughs> bet it or forget it. He's talking about Nolan Arenado here. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. It is official from the NHL. The game tonight between the Golden Knights and the Blues has been postponed. Uh, This comes straight from the NHL from their release. The NHL announced today that as a result of a player and another member of the Vegas Golden Knights coaching staff entering the NHL's COVID protocols, the NHL, uh, the team's game tonight against the Blues will be postponed. The decision was made by the league, the NHLPA, and the club's medical groups after recent tests warranted more caution while the league continues to analyze test results in the coming days. Basically, game is postponed. We'll figure out when this is going to be played at a later date. Yeah, We talked about this a little bit ago for Ario Off-Air, given the fact that it seemed like it was headed this way. There are some options for the NHL in terms of when they could play this game. The one that makes the most sense, the Blues have a almost like an off week in early March from the 7th through the 11th. And it just so happens that on the 12th, they play Vegas in St. Louis. So if I had to guess when this is going to be played, I bet you they fit it in right there in that like March 7th to 11th. Yeah, and that's why they put those off. There's two basically off weeks in the season, and I think they both kind of fall in March where there's like four days off. And they did that to kind of, one, give the players some rest from a very busy season, but also to fit games that must be made up with things like this. That makes the most sense. You know, if you're going to do it to where you have to be in Vegas, you could look at the end of the season, but we talked about how that would just affect the postseason. So, you know, whether that's played in Vegas or you just do it in St. Louis and consider Vegas the home team, that'll probably be the date that they go for with this. And I know a lot of people are kind of wondering because Jim Thomas is tweeting out that the Blues are practicing. It's an optional morning skate. They're practicing on the T-Mobile arena where the games are played. The Vegas players where they shut basically it down was the practice facility that's kind of outside of Las Vegas. So that's why the Blues are skating. I would imagine they're skating to get a little morning rep in, and then they'll probably head out to Anaheim where they play on Saturday. Yeah, and better to forget it. This means that the Blues no longer have an issue with the second game in a two-game series. Hey, problem solved, boys. You know what happens? The other team gets COVID, and then, well, you win that hockey game. That's how this works, right? 
And all seriousness, no, that's not how this works. But you avoided it, which is a good thing. And guess what? Now, instead of playing a two-game series, you're going to have to play a three-game series against Vegas. So rather than losing the second one, you're going to take two of three. Boom, over 500. T-Bone, take that. I'll bet that. that. That seems like a great way to view this. I also, I wonder what this means for the carryover of that hit from Stone. Because the next time that the Blues will play Vegas, if I'm not mistaken, looking at the schedule, is not until March 12th. Yeah. So that's like six weeks from it's now. home game. I don't know if Bozak, I would imagine Bozak will be back for that game. I don't know how the Blues, there's probably going to be some sort of retaliation tonight, if I had to guess. I don't know what it would have been, but if I had to guess, there probably would have been something. Yeah, I mean, Brian Lawton's right. The game has changed, right? Like, there's no more where you go out there and you send Tony Twist and Kelly Chase to go after I know, them. but did you hear what Braden Shin said yesterday? He said, basically, this is going to get taken care of. Yeah, and, and I think what he meant by that is we go out there and we show them that it's not going to affect us. Now, don't get me wrong. The Blues will respond if they have to. But I don't expect them to go out and drop mitts right off of the faceoff and have five on five. Sure, sure. That might be a hit. That might be a response from Braden Chen of saying, we got seven games to show them and beat them six of those seven times. I, I think where, where Braden Chen was getting from is that's just going to to amp us up every time we play these guys. So that kind of, they, they did that to themselves. But look, you brought Kyle Clifford in for this reason, to make sure that the protection and make sure that those things don't happen. I would imagine by that time, Robert Portuzo is going to be back on the ice. So whether it was tonight or in March, this is going to carry over. And if anything, this is just going to, it's going to boil over even more. 65780 is the air comfort service X line for bet it or forget it. This one comes from the 314. Bet it or forget it, guys. Paul DeYoung finishes this year with at least 25 home runs. Where are you guys at on this? Bet it or forget it. Paul DeYoung rebounds. He gets at least 25 home runs in 2021. Um, oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say forget it. I don't think I don't. I think this is the year we realize DeYoung is not the franchise shortstop going forward. I think he'll have a decent year, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, to where the Cardinals can look at it and go, you know what? We don't need to dip the toe in the water for the next free agent class. So I'm going to forget it. I'm going to go the opposite way, and I'm going to bet it. I, I think he hits somewhere between that 20 and 25. But I also agree with T-Bone. I think we're going to realize that he is not the franchise answer at shortstop. He's going to be a legitimate threat for you. He's not a liability at defense. But it's also going to show the Cardinals that, hey, we need to go out there. And we need to get somebody who can play the four hole and actually be a staple into our lineup. I think I agree with Alex. I think he goes over. I'm, I'm going to take bet it. I think he will hit at least 25 homers this year. I also don't know that that means that he is the power hitting producer that you want as your cleanup hitter. Maybe there was once upon a time when that would have been the case where 25 homers is plenty and you don't need anything more than that. And you feel pretty good about it. But you go back the last time that we saw a full regular season was 2019. Mm -hmm. There were 70 players in baseball among qualified hitters that hit at least 25 homers that year. 70. That means every team in baseball on average had two and a half hitters that hit at least 25 homers. If that guy is your cleanup hitter, it seems like he might be a little underqualified right. for that role. You probably need at least three guys in your lineup that are doing that to be a real contender. So I think he hits at least 25. I also don't think that that means that he is your answer as a cleanup. The hitter. only the only thing that's going to really 
hurt that chance is the fact that he doesn't have anybody to spell him anymore. And I don't know if they really utilized that in the past, even when they did have bench players. But if you don't go get a third baseman, Carpenter's at third, Edmonds at second. Yes, you have Edmundo Sosa, but how much faith is there in that young player in the position? So he's going to be playing a lot of games. You just hope that fatigue doesn't show up like it usually does. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, last one here. Bet it or forget it. After reading the report from Derek Gould earlier today, the Cardinals will bring back Colton Wong, Adam Wainwright, and Yadier Molina. Bet it or forget it. All three are back. Forget it. I did since Wong's option was declined, I've said he's not coming back. So forget it. I'm not convinced Wayno's coming back. Of those three, Molina's probably the only one that comes back, so I'll forget that. I'm forgetting it as well. Uh, there's one that's going to come back, and it's Yachty. And I still don't have a lot of faith that that's going to happen. Where would you put – let's put percentages on this real quick. Yachty or Molina, let's start with that. I am at – I think I'm at 98% right now that Yachty or Molina will be a Cardinal in 2021. I'd say 70%. I still think there's an outside shot he could go elsewhere or retire. I say 50% on Yachty. Wow, yeah. you're that low. Hey, it came up from 40% on me. Holy cow. I say 50% with Yachty. I just, I'm not sold that he's happy with the Cardinals offer. Okay. Beyond that, I'd put it at about a 25% chance that Adam Wainwright comes back and at like a 5% chance that Colton Wong is back. On Wayno, I'll say 30. I think it's more likely than not that he's gone. But I'll say there's still a 30% chance that he's back next season. Yeah, I'm about 40% on Wayno. I still think there's a decent chance he comes back, but not enough to put me at the 50-50 mark. For Wong, I'm at zero. Zero since that option was declined. And I'll middle between the two of you guys. I'll say it's 2%. I think it's very <laughs> unlikely. That's um, a, that's but I'll a, go ahead and take the middle between the two Price's of you. That's Price's right rules. That was a jerk move there, BK. <laughs> that that would have lost things for me. That's yeah, that Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner <laughs> Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's talk with our guy Joey Vitale. We don't have a game for tonight to talk about. But we certainly have plenty of blues analysis to get into. Joey Vitale is going to join us to do that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale report on 101 ESPN brought to you by the electrical connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line as you heard on the return happy to go out to talk with our guy Joey Vitale blues analyst for 101 ESPN if you missed the breaking news just a little bit ago the game between the Knights and the Blues in Vegas has officially been postponed the NHL says that a player for Vegas and an additional member of the coaching staff has entered the COVID-19 protocol we do not know when that game will be made up yet probably makes the most sense to play it in early March now we go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line Joey Vitale how you doing today my friend Hey, BK, I'm doing good, man. A little bummed about the game here tonight uh, based off of the performance we saw from both teams the other night with some of the most exciting hockey I think we're going to see is between these two teams. So, yeah, a little bummed about the game here tonight. But, again, this was this was territory we knew we were trending. It was possible uh, heading into this season about the protocols and, and the way the league has handled the safety measures to make sure everyone is safe and involved. So we kind of knew it was coming. Uh, and we, we put those gaps in the schedule. The league put the gaps in the schedule in March for this purpose. So it's unfortunate, a little bit of a bummer, but I'm glad that everyone's on top of it and we're all staying safe. Well, Joey, you and I are bummed, but imagine how those players feel out in Vegas, locked in a hotel room in Las Vegas and nowhere to go. 
Dude, I'm telling you, like dangling a carrot. I mean, they've been in Vegas for four, <laughs> been in Vegas for four days, and they haven't really been allowed to leave their hotel room except for the walks. And but now they're going to be shipping off uh, to Anaheim for a big back to back. So yeah, unfortunate for these players. Uh, now I, I'm not exactly sure. I should know this, but I don't. As far as how this will get made up, I'm assuming they're going to have to go back out to Vegas. I, I wouldn't think it would be a neutral site or a home site. Uh, probably a lot just depends on how the schedule shakes out. Uh, moving forward with how many games Vegas loses, if other teams lose games, the league will sort that out. But I would imagine the players are bummed. They have to make it one more trip back out to Vegas now come March for the makeup game. Joe, do you, do, sorry, BK, do you think they have to stay in Vegas tonight or do you think they'll head to Anaheim and just get there early? Well, you know, my, my thought right now, Alex, about this is, is simple. You know, with, with now a player testing positive or at least in that uh, COVID protocol measure, you have to imagine that now the players are going to be even uh, the blues players I'm talking about. They're going to be really under the microscope now, as far as today, yesterday, and tomorrow, as far as the testing, uh, probably more, more, more than normal, I would imagine, or maybe it's the same, but they're going to be very, they're going to keep their eye on the same as blues because there was a game that was played. You know, the game was played with the assumption that there was a coach that was exposed and that's why the game was played. So now with this and with the latest report, it appears that maybe a player now has tested positive or has been exposed. So now it kind of opens up the floodgates as far as uh, both not only the Vegas team, but also St. Louis. So before they go to Anaheim, I would imagine that the league is, is very on top of how, how this whole thing is going to be unfolding as far as making sure all the St. Louis players are now um, healthy before moving on to Anaheim. Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Joey, this is all making me very depressed, so let's go ahead and get out of it. Let's talk about something positive. And the guy that has been just so incredibly impressive to me so far this year is Jordan Kyrou. He has exceeded any possible expectation that I think anybody could have had for him. What have you seen from Kyrou, and what do you think has led to this kind of a jump in his performance so far? You know, the biggest thing I noticed with Jordan is that his hands are connected to his feet. You know, and, and you hear that term a lot with goaltending, where their head's connected to their feet, where it means their body's moving in sync with, with their thoughts or, or where their body wants to move. Jordan has, has this ability to skate extremely fast. He's very fluid. He's very, very silky. And he just looks, it was kind of like to me, like Sergey Fedorov of the old days, like the way Sergey could just skate like the wind or Mike Madonna with his number nine jersey just flying in the wind, right? And those players were special, not only because they were so fast, but because their hands were connected. And, and the best way I can explain this is you watch players in practice or you watch you, even, even young players at your, your local establishments here in St. Louis, they can do amazing things with the puck when they're stationary or when they kind of go like maybe 20% of their speed, right? They can do put the puck in the air. They can do the spinorama. Kids love scooping the puck up on their stick and doing like 360s and putting it on top shelf. They can do that at 20% of their tip, their top speed. What makes Jordan, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, and not that I'm putting Jordan in that category, but he does stand out in, in this aspect. His ability to do things with the puck at a top speed is something that is very rare and it's very, very difficult to do. And that's what, what is so special about Sid and Connor. They, they do things with the puck that everybody can do. Anyone can do what Sid and, and Connor do. But the problem is they can't do it at top speed. And that's what I'm seeing with Jordan is Jordan is, is doing things with the puck. He's making moves with the puck with his feet moving equally as fast, if not faster. You look at his little shuffle. He has this little play where he does little, it's almost, it's hard to explain over the radio. because here I am in my bedroom doing this move, but you guys can't see what I'm doing. Um, but he kind of does this little shimmy with his wrist with a quick little jerk, like back and forth 
where it's so quick and it kind of throws the defenseman kind of on their heels. It almost tries almost like to the point of breaking some ankles, I would imagine. So he's got this little twitch in his wrist and his body will move to the right while his hands move to the left. And, and, and vice versa, and here I am still in my bedroom doing this little, this little shimmy dance <laughs> Joey, in front of my mirror. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> Too many innuendos here to say that you're currently doing it in the bedroom. Yeah, you're doing the dance yeah. in the bedroom in the mirror. <laughs> yes, so, so the, if you're uh, yeah, for any uh, Kirkwood people walking by my house right now, you probably see me up in the bedroom doing a little dance <laughs> on the phone. Um, but, but his body will go one way and his hands will go another way. And he's got that little quick little six inches jerk back and forth where his hands get so twitchy. And it kind of makes these defensemen kind of stunned a little bit. And he's got this cool, cool ability to kind of slide it, kind of like Perron does, to his body and find a little lane between defensemen's feet. It's it's spectacular, man. It's it's pretty cool to see um, see him with this opportunity. Not only the opportunity, but taking full advantage of the way he's doing it, using his natural abilities. It's been it's been great to see. All I've heard there is Jordan Cairo is the next Sergey Fedorov, Joe. No, no, we're not going to go down the hole and those thing again with you, Alex. Don't, don't try to don't don't try to do that. Don't Come try to, hey, but hey, you know I know the hall of notes was bad, but Joe Vitale said no, no, I never said that. I never said you that. You got to find it out somehow, Joe. Let me ask you about another one that's been impressive, man. And we talked a lot about it on the broadcast on the post game, and it's been Justin Falk. Is this more confidence in just his own role now with his team? Or is it confidence in the fact that the coaching staff believes in him more because they're putting him out there in a lot of big situations, penalty kill, you know, five on five late in hockey games. He's playing close to 20 minutes a night. The confidence is coming all around for this guy. Yeah, I think, I think it's there for him. And this was what the hopes was when they brought in Tory crew, you know, Doug Armstrong looked at this, this core and he said in this unit, this full six pack unit back there, and said, okay, we lose Petro, we get Krug. How, how does that affect everything, right, if we lose Petro? So you lose Petro, and now Falk gets a better opportunity. So it, you're getting Krug, you're losing Petro, but in, in losing Petro, you actually you got two defensemen. I said that back when, when Petro signed with Vegas. It's like you're not, you're not losing Petro but gaining Krug. You're, you're actually you're losing Petro, you're signing Krug, but you're also bringing up Justin Falk, who was there before he lost Petro, but he wasn't there. So now with this opportunity of playing top four minutes, you know, playing 20, 20 plus minutes a night, he, he can be that defenseman that he was in Carolina that, that Doug really saw and why he traded for him and signed him to an extension right away. I think every aspect of his game is there. He got points early. I think that got him confidence. That, that goal he scored coming out of the penalty box on home ice yeah. versus, I believe, the San Jose Sharks in that first game. I think I think really that got the ball rolling. Now he was good in Colorado. I'm not saying he it, he, it took him a goal to get going. He was still good in Colorado. But I think that goal coming out of the penalty box, that snipe of a shot uh, through the defenseman's legs, right over the glove. I believe it was Devin Dubnik at the time. That to me, I think that got him a lot of confidence. And I think that it, it is just it's just a snowball effect. I mean, look at all the snow out here now in St. Louis. You see these kids <laughs> pack these balls on top of these hills and roll them, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a hard monster to stop. Confidence for a hockey player when they're feeling what Justin Falk is feeling, scoring goals, being physical, playing 20 minutes, getting in fights. You know, I guarantee you he got the hard hat or whatever kind of word St. Louis is giving out right now in the locker room. I mean, that it is a it is a evil monster. It's an awesome monster that you just cannot stop. It takes a long time for that kind of confidence to wear out. So for Justin Falk, again, he's done everything he's capable of. He's done everything he's advertised, which we, why we brought him here in St. Louis last year. And it's great to see that he is he's really coming into his own. The Blues are winning games with them. And I think there's a couple levels probably for some other defensemen back there when they join the Justin Falk 
train, it's, it's going to be one of the best defensive cores in the league. I truly believe that. Last question that I've got for our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale. Joey, how do the Blues get the most? How do they start to make it click for Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman, in your opinion? You know, this is this may just take a little bit more time. You know, I, I know I know it sounds so cliche, but it, sometimes things just just need a little bit of time to click. You look Blues back in '19 when they brought in Pat Maroon and Ryan O'Reilly, uh, star players to lead David Prons back, but they were just dreadful to start the year. Mike Yo loses his job. It was a terrible start. And you ask players, BK, about about that 2019 season, and they all say the same thing about how. how why they're when they found their game back in January, what went wrong in the first half. And they just say the same thing. It just takes time. It takes reps. It takes games. And the only way you're going to kind of get through these funks is just playing games, making mistakes, going through video, trying to figure each other out. Mike Hoffman still getting adjusted, not only on the ice, but in the locker room, he shows up every day in the locker room to give people perspective on this player. Yes. I know he's a veteran. Yes. I know he was one of the best unrestricted free agents. He's got some, He's got some pedigree, of course, in the National Hockey League, but he's still on a fresh new team. He's still trying to to make good with the guys and get to know the guys and the relationships. And it's hard because of COVID, so they're not going out to dinners, they're not grabbing beers. The only time they're really seeing each other is on the plane and in the locker room. So he's trying to develop relationships. He's trying not to step on anyone's toes. He's trying to figure out the culture in the locker room. You know, who's the funny guy? Who's the smart guy? Who's the crossword USA puzzle guy who's stealing all the answers from the trainers? You know, everyone everyone's got a role, and he's still still trying to figure that out too. So. You can imagine the adjustment it is for Mike Hoffman. Now he's got to go on the ice and then perform at a very top level. So it's going to take time for him. I've seen great flashes of Robert. To me, I know that a lot has been said about he needs another level. I think he does need another level. He understands that. But I still have seen great flashes from him. I've seen great speed from him. We've seen the creativity. We've seen the playmaking. We've seen him put pucks between defensemen's um, skates to set up some great goals. I mean, that play to David Perron. He's just a creative kid. And sometimes with those creative ones, BK and Alex, as you know, Sometimes when they're that creative and you don't notice them uh, because they're hitting and being physical and driving the net, unless they are making those fancy plays, you're like, where the heck are they, right? Oscar Sundquist on the flip side, I would consider him like the opposite player of Robert Thomas, where if he's not setting up goals, you still notice him because he's driving his head through every wall. He's going to the net. He's playing physical. He's winning faceoffs. He's blocking shots. He's doing a lot of, a lot of Oscar Sundquist's game is all within his control. So you always will notice him. You'll always notice Kyle Clifford because he does what he does. Robert Thomas, the way you notice him is when he sets up pretty plays. When he's in off in the offensive zone, he makes a spin around a backhand play, or he goes top shelf, or he wins a face off and does that cool little toe drag to the net. But sometimes in games, it's just not there. So a lot of Robert Thomas's flash and why we notice him is kind of out of his control. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. So that's why with Robert Thomas, either you're really going to notice him or you're going to think, you know, where is he in the game here tonight? Because what he does and what he brings sometimes is out of his control, uh, mostly based off his linemate. Tyler Bozak, he left the game the other day with concussion. Of course, Mike Hoffman's brand new. So he's going to have a lot of revolving wingers here in the near future. So it's just about getting comfortable, getting his reps, giving a little bit more time. But I still think, I know it's early, and I know it's been not the best start, but it's still been a good start for him. I still think this is his breakout season. I think he's going to start wowing people very soon. I can't wait to see what he looks like when they get Vladdy back. That That's the thing that I keep pointing to. So hopefully that's sooner rather than later. He's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. You won't hear him tonight, unfortunately, on Blues versus Golden Knights as the game has officially been postponed. However, you will hear him. Blues versus Ducks on Saturday night. Pre-game will begin here Saturday night at 7 o'clock on 101 ESPN. Joey, always appreciate the time, man. All the best. We'll talk with you again next week. 
Hey, BK, Alex, you guys, you guys are doing a great job. You guys hang in there. We'll talk to you guys next week. Go get your sleds out. Go get your sleds. <laughs> I, I went sledding yesterday. Holy smokes, that's fun. How'd you I'm do today? How'd you do, yeah, Joe? Oh, what do you mean how I did? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a former professional athlete. I killed it. What are you, what are you talking That's about? True. That's true. No, no broken arms, so that was a win for you. Yeah. Joey, all the best, man. Thanks, bros. Absolutely. That is Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Still not entirely sure what he was trying to describe yeah. with Jordan Cairo. Um, There's a lot of stick work. A lot of stick work happening in the bedroom. Jerking wrists yep. in front of the mirrors. Six inches six I, inches pulling it closer to the chest. There was a lot of euphemisms there by Joe. I'm a little concerned about. An interesting uh, an interesting breakdown by him for sure. <laughs> I, I did think he gave some really good insight into Robert Thomas there. I agree. Because it's true. What he does is almost... It requires his line mates to also have a really high level of ability. Yeah. Like to be able to truly appreciate him, you also need guys around him to be good. It's almost like having a really great band where or a bad band where the basis is tremendous, right? You're not going to notice that because the rest of the band stinks. Well, you just said bassists suck. So no, that's, no that's not what I'm saying. Like if you have a great bassist in a bad band, you're not going to notice it. However, if you've got a tremendous band and then you add this great ba- bassist to right. it, it's special. It can be a, a really amazing thing. And he needs those around him to be able to take advantage of the way that he's setting them up. And right now, I just don't think that he has that with his line mates. It might get there with Hoffman. He's got the ability. They just need to develop some chemistry. I still, I, I wonder what it's going to look like when Vladdy gets back. And if he is on that right wing with Robert Thomas, that's when it could really start. Well, and imagine putting the weapons of Tarasenko on the right and Hoffman on the left for Robert Thomas and giving him a lot of weapons to work with. Defensively, that concerns me Defensively, a little bit. Defensively, that's but... not great, but hey, what, what else? But he's right, though. I mean, if you think about it, you know when Kyle Clifford and Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev stand out because they're, they're making hits. You know when Jordan Cairo is standing up because he's scoring goals. You don't know when Robert Thomas is standing out because if the guy doesn't bury the shot that Thomas passes to him, well, then guess what? It's a missed play, and you're talking about that more than you're talking about the goal. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. There's no Blues game tonight. However, there is the Last Minute Blues podcast starting at 6 o'clock. All those guys will be up here at 6 o'clock ready for you. Coming up next, though, it's the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They they got to just they got to forecheck a lot better than they do, and they got to want the puck a lot more than they do, in my opinion. Um, they got to go get pucks, and they got to win battles, and and then when you get it in the offensive zone. Um, you got to keep it and make plays and hang on to it and cutbacks and all that stuff. I think it's just a will. You know, they got to have more will out there for me and be heavier. That was Craig Berube yesterday talking about what he wants to see from Mike Hoffman and Robert Thomas in their five on five situations. Alex, one thing that stands out to a lot of people, and I know you've brought this up as well. Robert Thomas has to shoot more. I wasn't on that page early in the year. After the first couple of games, I was like, listen, it's not a big deal if he's not shooting much because he's not a guy that's going to be known for his goal scoring. That's not his game. He does have to shoot more than this, though. (laughs) This is on the like historically low levels of shooting. There are only two players in the entire league that have played as much as Robert Thomas that have fewer shots than Robert Thomas. Two, two forwards in the entire league. By the way, one of them is Tyler Bozak, who is also on his line very recently, which tells you about some of the the lack of production from that line has is due in large part to Robert Thomas and Tyler Bozak not shooting the puck. We just heard from Craig Burby what he wants to see from Hoffman and Thomas. 
What have you seen other than just the simple fact of Robert Thomas needs to shoot more? What have you seen from those two that needs to start clicking for them to reach their peak? Well, and I think it's one thing that Craig Bruby said, it's the forecheck. And I was thinking of this last night, BK, because I was going to have this a part of my pregame show tonight. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that now because the game was postponed. But Robert Thomas in his career, the two years he's played with the St. Louis Blues, the first year he was on the line with Pat Maroon and Tyler Bozak. And then the second year, last year, he was on a line with Tyler Bozak. And then you kind of were substituting players in. You were substituting a Sammy Blay, maybe an Oscar Sundquist. Thomas played up there with Schwartz and Shen a little bit. What I made from all of that was he had guys that forechecked. He had guys that fought for the puck. Not that Robert Thomas shouldn't be doing that. But when your line mates are going into the boards heavy for the pucks, they're creating space for Robert Thomas. And Robert Thomas is creating space for them. If you look at the Corsi rating for Robert Thomas this season, it's the lowest it's ever been. Now, it's only low by two points. It's 49.1 right now. And if you don't know, Corsi rating is basically puck possession time. When the player has the puck, that's how they rate their Corsi rating. Can I give you another number on that? Yeah, please. Kind of to follow that up. It's actually really good for Robert Thomas when he's not on the ice with Mike Hoffman. So without Hoffman on the ice this year, he's played about 33 minutes on the season. He's got a 53% Corsi rating, which is fine. It's, it's solid. You want to be above that 50% it's better threshold. than what he's had the last two years. With Mike Hoffman on the ice when Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman are out there together they've been on the ice for about 48 minutes in five on five situations 43 percent Corsi yeah. rating that's terrible and if that you look is, at Mike Hoffman you can be if you look at Mike Hoffman's right now BK it's the lowest it's ever been in his career it's 46.7 and it's when those two are out there together there's clearly something for whatever reason that hasn't clicked between I the think two. it's just because of that forecheck because right now again Jamie Rivers has referenced this it's it's it, Mike Hoffman has played pond hockey meaning he's played on teams like the Florida Panthers and Ottawa Senators that like to skate, like to make those finesse plays and then take the shots. That's not how this Blues team plays. Robert Thomas, it's been implanted in his brain since he's been a St. Louis Blue. You forecheck hard and get the puck and work for the puck. Mike Hoffman's still learning that. So I feel like what the problem is right now, that mixed communication is Mike Hoffman's trying to break this trend of skating and expecting the puck to come to him, whereas Robert Thomas is trying to fight for the puck and create space, but he doesn't have those other two guys out there with him. So if you get the forecheck going harder, it's like what Craig Bruby said. you got to want the puck. If you get Mike Hoffman bought into that, and Brian Lawton said it earlier today, he expects it because you don't want to be looked at poorly going into this offseason. He's going to give it 10 to 12 games before you really know with Mike Hoffman. But I expect Hoffman to buy into this forecheck, and when he does, that's when things I think are going to start really clicking for Robert Thomas as well. Would you like to see them put Hoffman on his offhand yes. on that wing? Because right now he's playing on the left wing, and we heard going into the season the reason why they wanted Hoffman on that right wing, which surprised many of us, myself included, because you think, okay, he's a left-handed shot, probably going to want to play left wing. He likes being on his offhand, apparently, which would be on that right wing for Robert Thomas. He hasn't been there with Thomas so far. He's played on the left side the majority of the time. Maybe that's something they could shake it up with. You don't have to move him to a different line. Just flip positions, put him on the right-hand side, and then put somebody else in there on the left side. I think that's one thing they could potentially do to make him feel more comfortable. I know people are not going to like me when I say this because it's been your best line, but I would like to see, and again, this is maybe just to test, see what happens with it. Put Jordan Cairo up on that top line with O'Reilly and Perron 
on his left side. He's played left wing before. Now he's more on the right wing, but he's played left wing. Do you before. want to mess with something that's working though for a young guy? Here's, that would be my concern, but go ahead. Here's why I need to get Hoffman going. And Shannon Schwartz are like the line that can get players going. They got Kairou going in the past. They've gotten Tarasenko going, give it a shot just to get Mike Hoffman into the game a little bit more because you got two guys that forecheck the hell out of the puck and and Jordan Cairo has played very responsible hockey. He's not a liability in my opinion anymore. So I'd like to see him. Maybe you put him with a Robert Thomas on the right wing and see what those two can do because that's a lot of speed out there. I want to see Thomas at center. No, that's what I'm saying. Put Cairo on okay. the right wing with Thomas at the center position and put a Sammy Blay or something like that on the left wing. You're, 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 you're flirting with danger a little bit if you do that. I don't want to move Cairo right now. I, I want to leave that as is. I, I'm seeing that be successful. I Cairo is a young guy. L- leave that be. I want to fix the players around that line. But what that, if you that line has been really good. But what if you can't fix the players around that line? Because, look, you can't put Hoffman on the right wing with O'Reilly because Perron's on the right wing. I can put him on the right, on the right with Thomas, though. But it hasn't worked. And it hasn't worked on the left side. But he did play the right side a little bit with Robert Thomas as well. A little. I'd like to give it another chance. Yeah. I, I would, that, that's, that would be the first thing. My last resort would be breaking up right now Schwartz, Shin, and Kyrie. I agree. Those uh, those guys are playing well together. They clearly have chemistry between the three of them. That that line is the least of my issues. So yeah. I'm going to change everything around them before I decide to break up that unit. I would even be willing to put Mike Hoffman back with that O'Reilly and Perron line on the left side yeah. before I would break up the Cairo line. I One thing I would like to see, I, I've mentioned this before, and I think you're in on it as well. Let's see Sonny with, with Robert Thomas again. Yeah. At least then you've got somebody that is responsible on that line that you know you he brings a little more juice than Tyler Bozak does. And I know, and right now you don't even have to worry about that, but I know Bozak has been a really good player for them and they like him because you kind of know where he's going to be at all times. I think Sonny is a better option to play with Robert Thomas than Bozak is at this point in Bozak's career. Well, and Sunquist is going to be the next Tyler Bozak. I mean, next you know, next offseason, that's what that is. Sunquist is going to be excelled to that third role. I agree. Sunquist is the fix-it player for Craig Berube. Put him out there with a Robert Thomas and see if that can create some offense. And I'm getting so many people texting saying it's an awful idea to take Cairo. I, I understand. You don't want to break that lineup. But you got to get Mike Hoffman going. And if he's not working on the left side, I'm just wondering if you try and find a way to get him going with that pair. Can Sonny play on the left? Sonny can play on the left. Sonny can play anywhere. Uh, that's what I figured. So my Sunquist on the left with Thomas like, and Hoffman. That's what I would like to see. Yeah. Sonny on the left wing, Robert Thomas at center, Mike Hoffman on the right side. Hoffman is now comfortable. He's not. You're not putting as much defensively on him if you've got Sonny on that line with him. The other two lines, top two, top two lines, stay as is, yeah. and you just put Sammy Blay on that fourth line with Clifford and Barbashev for the time being. Yeah, I, that that for the next game would be the way that I would go out there, and then we figure it out from there. And if it works, great. And if not, then we can start talking about moving other. Pieces. And honestly, they need to put Hoffman back on that number one power play unit. I know they scored two goals so far, but that's two goals and twenty three chances. It's not working. You're hoping that you can build some chemistry there, but what'd you sign Mike Hoffman for? For the power play. And if he's on that second unit, you're maybe getting 40 seconds of power play time. That's not how you can best utilize him. you got to get Mike Hoffman out there. Who are you replacing him or replacing with? I'd move a Schwartz maybe down to that second unit or a Shen down to that second unit just because both guys work so hard that they can create offense. 
Were we a little overzealous on this power play unit, or is it just going to take longer? Than I think it's going to take longer. I, I, maybe I was a little overzealous when I talked about them being one of the best in franchise histories, but, I mean, you can't blame somebody for thinking that after watching last year's and then adding a Tory Krug and a Mike Hoffman. This, is, this power play unit is going to be really good. They just have not clicked yet. But, I mean, look, Vegas didn't click. Vegas is just as bad as St. Louis right now. What's the common denominator? They got a new face out there. So I just think it's still... And specifically a new quarterback. Yes, on the power play unit. So I think it's just understanding the roles. And as Joey mentioned, you you don't have the opportunity to go get beers and joke around and, and, you know, mess around. You don't have that opportunity to bond with your teammates. You got to bond basically in practice and in the locker room. It's not an easy thing. They'll get there. It's just right now, it's just not working. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're going to play a game of more likely to happen coming up next. If you've got an option for us, send in two things. We'll tell you which one's more likely to happen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. More likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen you throw two scenarios at us we'll tell you which one is more likely to happen let's start with this from the 636 guys more likely to happen deshaun watson to the dolphins or deshaun watson to the san francisco 49ers i think more likely to the dolphins because it's a simple trade you're flipping Tua into Sean along with one of those first picks, probably the third overall draft pick. Miami gets to keep number 18, or maybe you got to trade both I of think them. You can trade both. But regardless, you're flipping the quarterback. That's the key point there because Houston not only is going to get two top picks to help fix the issues of offensive line and then the quarterback, but you're getting a quarterback that you hope you can build off of. So Miami and me is the more likely to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think Miami's the perfect fit because you've got the quarterback, you've got the picks. San Francisco, I just don't know how they can get out from Garoppolo. I know you may be able to move it's him easy. to. Yeah. I know you may be able to move him to New England, but if I look at Miami, I don't think, or excuse me, with Houston, I don't think you want Jimmy G in return, and that's probably what it would take. So that's why I'm going Miami. I think the only way the Houston thing, or excuse me, the uh, San Francisco thing happens is if Deshaun clearly says that's where I want to go. And if he says that, well, then he can just nix a trade to anywhere else. And he basically controls his own destiny and forces his way to San Francisco. The Jimmy G thing is super easy. This is the first time where they could really get out of that contract. They could cut him tomorrow if they wanted to and save $24 million against the cap. Cost him $3 million bucks to do so. Basically, they could get out of that super easy if they just wanted to cut him. If they trade him, it's the same thing. They get rid of $23.5 million against the cap. And whoever takes him on is basically paying Jimmy Garoppolo $24 million, pure salary, nothing guaranteed going into next year. So he's easy to get rid of. But to your point, Tanner, it it would basically come down to whether or not he wants to go to San Francisco. Alex, which ones do you think is more likely? I think Miami, no question. It's that easy flip because you want the quarterback. And look, if you get... You're not going to get one of the first two picks. I don't see that happening unless for some odd reason the Jets are willing to trade you that pick. But you got to get a quarterback. And I don't know. There's going to be some good ones, but I don't know if it's going to be the one that can fill that void of Deshaun. I'm going with Miami as well. I think that's more likely for all the reasons that we just discussed. I will say this too. 
I think it's ridiculous. The idea of trading Deshaun Watson is laughable at best. Amen. And the fact that it got to this point is absurd. If this was a coherent organization, I think it's possible they could make this through, make it through this okay, though. Well, that's if they don't have a chaplain that's in exactly. charge of their and that, team. The whole reason why they're in this <laughs> issue is why I don't think it's going to work out for them. Right. But if they had a good organization that actually knew what it was doing, and for whatever reason Deshaun still wanted out, let's go down the path of it being Miami. And you're able to get Tua, the number three overall pick from the Dolphins, and you also get that number 18 overall pick. You could, if you believe in Tua, you could then flip that number three overall pick, trade down to somebody else that needs a quarterback. Maybe it's Denver who has the number nine overall pick, and they give you their first round pick this year and next year to be able to move up. Okay, suddenly you could build something pretty nice there, especially if you believe in Tua as a franchise quarterback. It's not impossible to make it out of this okay. I just don't have any faith that this organization is going to be able to do. Well, and that's just it. I mean, you think what are the what are the weakest spots right now if you trade away Deshaun Watson in Houston? Offensive line, you get yourself a left everything, tackle. Honestly, yeah, everything. You get yourself a left tackle. You can find yourself a wide receiver in the draft. And I mean, from there, you build from free agency and hope that you can start to rebuild. The problem is, you don't have any picks next year because you traded those freaking away. And I guess you don't need a left tackle because you traded yeah, for Larry Tunsil. Yeah. They're in so much trouble, man. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You send us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely to happen. Let's get into this one. More More likely to happen, guys. The Blues get Vladimir Tarasenko back and win the cup. Or the Cardinals sign Yachty and Wayno and make it to the NLCS. Blues get Tarasenko back and win the cup. Cardinals signed Yachty Wayno. Nobody else. They don't bring anybody from the outside and make it to the NLCS. Which one's more likely to happen? I I saw you thinking on this one, Alex. I don't even know if I have to think on this one. It's the Blues. I mean, the Cardinals getting Yachty and Wayno back, great. It's legacy players, but that offense will get them nowhere. The Blues have offense. They defense question mark for them, but they bring Vladdy back. He gets back to his form. I think the Blues have a better shot at winning the cup rather than the Cardinals making the NLCS. You just questioned the Blues defense? I thought you were on the Falk train. I am on the Falk train, but I do question oh, the, okay. over, the overall team Here's defense. the reason I question it. I, I, the, the NLCS, I mean, unless you're matching up against one of those dominant teams, you don't have a horrible shot at that. The problem is, I mean, if you win the NLCS, you're not going to be matching up with the Padres or the Dodgers, right? Because one of those two teams are going to win their division. You'll be matching up with a wild card team. Still going to pick the Blues here, though. Yeah. As, as hard as I'm questioning this, I'm still picking the Blues because, look, chemistry is going to be figured out. Vladimir Tarasenko coming back does three things for me. It makes a lot more offense. It gives more defined roles for players, and it's going to help this team in terms of the chemistry. I think having another familiar face on the ice. Um, this is not going to be an easy task because you're going to have to get through some of these big teams, but I'm picking the Blues as the more likely to happen here. I think that this is an obvious one. I'm with both of you. I think really? it's the Blues. Yeah, absolutely. The Cardinals are so far behind the top four teams in the league. I mean, they might be like the seventh best team in the National League. That might be good enough to win the division, but they might be around the seventh best team in their own league Who are going the into this teams year. Better? Padres, Dodgers. Braves, 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 Mets, Phillies, potentially. Actually, probably the whole NL East is probably better than the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, the Marlins are actually better. 
You are not wrong there, Wolf. They okay. legitimately might be the seventh best team going into next season. The Alrighty Giants then. are going to be improved. They're not going to be good, but they're going to be improved going into next year. And there's four nationals as well we didn't mention. Yeah, they, they could easily be the seventh best team in the league and still make the playoffs as the yeah. winner of the NL Central. Th- this is not a team that, that been just easier. bringing those two guys back makes them that a competitor for the for NL. Me. And I know that we have where we're supposed to have expanded playoffs, I guess, because of the TV deal. Right now, we don't. So right now, the way I'm looking at it is you win the Central, you're the three seed, and you're going to get more than likely whoever wins the NL East. Yeah. So you're looking at, again, we just said the, all five teams are better than the Cardinals, and you're going to run into them in the NLDS. Okay. Yeah. You'll, you'll get either the Padres or probably one of the Mets or the Braves. Well, like, they beat the Braves you're looking to at. get to the NLCS, guys, with the same roster. Well, that's just to get into the wild card or get out of the wild card round. Then you have to beat another one of those teams to get into the NLCS. It just hey. seems unbelievably um, unlikely to me. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, what is more likely to happen? Dylan Carlson wins an MVP in his career or Nolan Gorman leads the league in home runs in his career. MVP for Carlson, home run title for Nolan Gorman. Which one is more likely? I'm going to say Carlson MVP. I don't know if he'll ever get one, (laughs) but I do think it's more likely that because I... we, do, we talked about this a little bit on Danny Mac show, and I had the numbers for Gorman in A-ball, and I'll just say I wasn't extremely okay. impressed. It's A-ball. He's 19 years old. It's A-ball. If he's that good, he should be playing huh. even better. I'm picking Nolan Gorman here. More likely to happen. I don't know if Carlson, I mean, we talked about this in the past with comps with him, and I, I mean, they were nowhere near guys who have won the MVPs in the past. I think Nolan Gorman's selling points, and I forgot who we talked to. It was someone with baseball prospects or baseball America a couple weeks ago and we asked JJ him Cooper. that's right thank you we asked him about the home run status of Gorman and he said look this guy might not be a three or four hole hitter but he will hit you 30 to 35 home runs in a season so I'll pick Gorman as the guy more likely to happen in that scenario I'm gonna go really optimistic here and I'm gonna take Dylan Carlson and what it would take do you guys remember that tremendous Tommy Pham season uh, from a few years ago when he hit like 300, 400, 500 as a yeah. slash line for the Cardinals? He was great. Yeah, that was when he was stabbed. That was in 2017. He finished 11th in the MVP voting that, that year. He had 23 homers, 25 stolen bases that year, 75 RBIs. A season like that, but a little bit better is what it would probably take for Carlson to win the MVP. Like that's that's kind of the style of a season it would take. 30 homers, 30 stolen bases, finishes with right around 100 RBIs, slash line of 300, 400, 500 on the year. That's what it would take for Carlson to do it. And I think he's more likely to do that than, in my opinion, Gorman leading the league in homers. That is just going to take a lot for him. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. Coming up next... Alex asked me an interesting question in the last break. What would it take to move Braden Shin away from center? And is that what it would take to get the most out of Robert Thomas, not only this year, but moving forward? Talk about Braden Shin's future for the Blues coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. All right, let's get into this conversation that we were just having about Braden Shin and Robert Thomas. I was having it with Alex off air, but I wanted to bring it on air for the listeners as well. 
Braden Shin's a really good center. He plays really well there. You're not going to move Ryan O'Reilly. He's going to be a center. This does create, it's a good problem to have, but a problem nonetheless with Robert Thomas because we've seen some of the challenges of getting the most out of Thomas when he's a third-line center. There's only so many really high-level wingers to go around in a capped sport. And so when you have him on this third line, it's going to be guys like Hoffman who have some holes in their games or Sammy Blay or uh, Tyler Bozak. Those are kind of going to be the types of players that are playing alongside Thomas if he is on that third line. So, Alex, what's the solution to this? Maybe even not this year, but moving forward, because you want O'Reilly, Shin, and Thomas here for the long term. It's not just 2021 that they're going to be here. How do they get the most out of all three of those players if all three of them play at their best when they're at center? This is the the, the biggest question for me, BK, and it's why I brought it up because I don't know if Robert Thomas can become a top two centerman for you unless he's getting those opportunities. He's never going to evolve into a guy that can be a number one center if he's playing on the third line. Now, I just went and looked at his minutes. These are his average on ice times in his career. First year, 13 minutes and four seconds. Okay, you're a rookie. Second year, 14 minutes and 34 seconds. Growing a little bit. And then this year so far, granted it's seven games, but it's 14 minutes and four seconds. So it's dipped a little bit. Braden Shen is the number two centerman for the Blues. These are his numbers as that man. 1944, 1835, 1828, 1829. That's almost five extra minutes of ice time. Is that all five on five? That's all. That he's playing? No, that's overall. Gotcha. But they're, they're, they both play in similar scenarios other than the penalty kill, where Braden Chen plays the penalty kill. They've been on that a lot this year. <laughs> they've been on that an awful lot. And I think that's part of the reason why Thomas's numbers are so low. But to answer your question, I think at some point Braden Chen has to become a winger again. Now, I was telling you that the frustrating part with hockey stats are you can't keep track of when a guy plays left wing or when he plays center because they, they evolve and they, they intermix pretty much every single game. But Braden Shen was traded away from Philadelphia because he was, he was kind of pushed down into that depth as a centerman. So they moved him to the wing and he wasn't having the success that they were hoping for. They moved him. He comes to St. Louis, he becomes a centerman and he has a career year putting up 70 points. At some point, you're going to have to find a way to have Shen play the wing and be effective at the wing, and Robert Thomas take that next step as a top two centerman. What if Shen tells you, I don't want to play the wing? Then you got some decisions to make because are you going to go depth down the middle? Maybe does Shen become a third line centerman for you and Thomas takes that next step? Thomas has to prove that he's willing to take that next step. That's the biggest thing. But it's hard for me to see that and say, well, how does he look like a top six centerman if he's getting these minutes? Because Oscar Sundquist should be a third-line center for you. That's how good this guy has been, and that's what he performs well with. I just think you have to find a way to get Braden Shen on the wing to get some success with these guys and create that depth because somebody texted and asked a great question. What are you going to do when Vladimir Tarasenko comes back? Because Mike Hoffman, you may want on the offhand right now on the right wing, but he's not taking a spot over Vladimir Tarasenko. Sooner or later, Hoffman's got to accept playing the left wing for you, and he's got to have some success with it. The same can be said with Braden Shen. Sooner or later, I think we're going to have to get to the point where Shen tries this wing position out. Thomas takes a, a top six center position like we saw in the first couple of games, and you start to see if that evolution is going to show up. For me, I don't think this is a problem this year when Vladdy returns. No, not at all. The, the Hoffman question is, the Hoffman thing, he needs to figure it out. It's a great point by our texter. Uh, the Hoffman thing needs to be figured out on the left-hand side eventually because 
You're right. Perron, Kairou, and Tarasenko are going to be your top three right wingers moving forward in some order, right? Some order or another. They're going to be on the right side flanking O'Reilly, Shin, and Thomas. And that also, for this season, makes Thomas much more lethal as a weapon on that third line. The fact that he could have Perron, Kairou, or Tarasenko next to him is absurd. That's that's ridiculous. But moving forward, that's not always going to be the case. You're not going to have that luxury of having somebody like that on that third line. So moving forward, you're going to want to have him, like you said, in that top six, the, that top six situation. I wonder what this means for Shin moving forward in terms of where he plays. Because I, I do think, and he's made this very clear, he wants to play center. He yeah. prefers playing center. It's his position. And I don't know if Sunquist factors into this for me, because if Barbashev's getting the minutes over him as the fourth line center, I don't know if they're too worried about getting Sunquist at the center position. Right. He'll play wherever he fits in. He he'll make it work. The real question here is what Shin what are Shin's aspirations? Because it's an issue for essentially 2021 and 2022, the upcoming two seasons. I don't think it's a big problem now. I don't think it's going to be a huge problem three years from now. But the next couple of years, it's going to be something that you have to fix because that's how long Ryan O'Reilly is still under contract. And I don't know what's going to happen with him moving forward, but I know he's going to be here for those two years. Yeah, well, and I know that the the future aspirations when the Blues gave Braden Shen that seven-year contract was he's a part of this organization for the next seven years, obviously. Is he going to be a centerman for the next seven years? I don't think so. Not in a number two role. I mean, he's going to be, he's 29 right now. So he's got another like four to five years of prime real estate for you. And he's really good at it. That's the other thing is like, it, we're, we're talking and a texter makes this point. 65780 is the air comfort service text line, text line from the 618. Guys, are we really planning to take a guy out who is a legitimate top center for a guy who might become a top center? That's the problem. And that's, and that's it right now, because if you look at Braden Shen's career in St. Louis, where he has been a center every single season, he's got 70 points, which was a career high, 54 points, which was the third most in his career, then 58, which was the second most in his career. So he ha- he's had two of the three of his best years in St. Louis as a centerman. So yeah, I think it is crazy that we're sitting here having to have this conversation, but again, this comes back to the problem that it's a good problem to have, but look. What do we say after every game? Man, we're not seeing a lot of Robert Thomas right now. We want to see more from Robert Thomas. Well, you're not seeing a lot of Robert Thomas because Braden Shen's getting 18, 19 minutes of ice time. Ryan O'Reilly's getting 19, 20 minutes of ice time. And Robert Thomas is on the second power play unit and playing 14 minutes. That's not a bad thing. I'm not complaining about that because you want depth. You need depth. But it also comes to the point of us saying, well, why aren't we seeing more from Robert Thomas? And I think that's part of the reason why. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing for them to develop because they they need all three of them to play at a high level. And they yeah. need all three of them. They, they, they just play the same role they, or they want to play the same role. And Thomas is a true center. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly is a true center. That's where you need those guys. Shin can play the wing, and that's where it becomes a conversation with him. The reason why it's even a question is because he has the ability to move out to wing if necessary. He's pretty good at it if you need him to go there. And but he I always comes back to the center position. It's and like a rubber a band. For it. 
There's yeah. a reason for it. It's because that's where you're getting the most out of him, and that's where he makes the guys around him better as well. I think a lot of this too, BK, with Thomas is what we talked about earlier. You got to get guys who forecheck and play the style that Robert Thomas has understood his entire NHL career. You got to get guys on that wing, which is why it might be a benefit when Vladimir Tarasenko comes back for him, because Tarasenko knows how Craig Berube needs to play. And if you get those guys like Maroon and Bozak were for Thomas, I think you're going to get more success from them. Wanted to get into the Vince Dunn situation. We'll get into that more tomorrow. Earlier today, if you missed it, we had a great conversation with former NHL general manager Brian Lawton, who told us he thinks that the Blues could eventually get a first round pick for Vince Dunn if they're willing to wait. Might take a while, though. He said, basically, you might even have to wait until the NHL draft. So it might be after the season when that move is made. But they have the luxury of waiting because they have Nico Mikola. So regardless of how long it takes, they're not forced into a situation, a decision. They're not rushed into anything. He believes that they're going to get good value for um, for Vince Dunn yeah. if and when they decide to make that deal. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with the fast lane on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of the show today, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app is where you find the podcast. It is all presented by I Promise. If you missed anything, I Promise is the one that brings you that podcast. Cross the things over with the fast lane. Anthony Stalter in studio with us. Stalter, what's going on, what's man? What's up, boys? How are we doing? I'm good. This this offseason is going to be really fun in the NFL, and I'm sure you guys will get more into this coming up on the show today, but just kind of as a little bit of a teaser. What do you make of this Deshaun Watson stuff? You you think this is actually going to go down? Well, first and foremost, I wouldn't trade him, but it, you may have reached the point of no return. And when I say I wouldn't trade him, I wouldn't trade him for anything. You you have the franchise quarterback, right. and I know the Texans have to rebuild. You know the shortest route to rebuilding? It's when, you, that guy. <laughs> it's when you have the quarterback already. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him. However, if you have reached the point where he's not going to He's not going to budge until he's dealt. You may have no no choice but to trade him. I do not see him being traded to the Jets. And it's it's very simple. You've got the two former Patriot guys now in the front office. The the former pastor now, team president slash gets me every strength time. coach slash <laughs> whatever Jack Easterby is whatever title he has assumed. And then of course you've got uh, Casario. So you've got two former Patriot guys in there who I would imagine are still pretty loyal to Bill Belichick. So I don't think he goes to the Jets. And I don't know if you're Deshaun Watson, if you if you were to accept the trade. How the hell the are you Jets. still loyal to another head coach when you go to another team in the same you know conference? How this goes. You know I, how it goes. I could see those two those two hopping on the phone together. Give us the bill. Let let's first of all, Bill Belichick being interested in Deshaun Watson, but Two, I mean, Bill Belichick tried to block Eric Mangini from being hired by the Jets. Like he hates the Jets. So <laughs> That's I could true. I could see the Jets being crossed off either by Watson or because of the relationship with the, the two front office guys. To that point on Watson potentially crossing the Jets off of their list. So earlier today, Adam Schefter put out some photoshops. You know how this goes, right? Drumming up the interest. Hey, what would Deshaun Watson look like in these different jerseys? And it's God. it's one of him in a Saints uniform, one in a Steelers uniform, and then the Dolphins and the Bears. Those are the four photoshops that he put up. Somebody responded to him and said, I think you forgot about the Jets one, Adam. Chris Mortensen responded to that tweet that said, I think you forgot the one with the Jets. 
saying, no, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I did forget the hatred towards the Jets. That's not happening. I I don't think that that's going to be on his list if Chris Mortensen, who's a tremendous reporter, is tweeting that out. He said that for a reason. There's there's clearly something there. So I I think we might be able to cross off the Jets from this list. Is it just is it as simple as he wants to go to Miami and that's where he's going to go? Maybe. And to my my earlier point, I wonder if if those guys don't oblige by sending him to Miami either, right? Yeah. But the team that, that that's kind of interesting, and and again, I don't think he would accept it. But if you're the Jaguars, you're calling. You're, Are you? Yes, because here's here's the reason. I He's got to be you. better than than Trevor Lawrence. Well, you don't know, and that's the point, right? Like you're tr- you're hoping that Trevor Lawrence is what a franchise quarterback. Yeah. What is Deshaun Watson now? A franchise quarterback. You know exactly what he is. Yeah. Houston would be interested in what getting Trevor Lawrence. So you flip him the number one overall pick. Now you don't have to necessarily have the bounty of picks that the Dolphins and Jets would have to give up. You're still giving up another first rounder in 2022. And I don't know if the, the if the Jaguars would be interested in giving up a whole bunch of draft capital, but when they have the whole entire roster to deal with, but still that would be one the of the quickest, most- the quickest way, right? Is to get a franchise QB. But if, but if you're Houston, and I mean, look, Houston doesn't run things very well at all. But if you're Houston, wouldn't you want? I know you're not getting Deshaun, but you're getting Tua. But you're also getting a third and an 18th overall draft pick in the draft to try and rebuild your issues right now. Wouldn't you want that over Deshaun and one pick? Well, I mean, no, the, the it, it would be it would be more Trevor Lawrence though. Yeah. Like that, that's yeah. the thing you've got to keep in mind. It, it is it's essentially you're trading Trevor Lawrence for Deshaun Watson, and you're not only trading Trevor Lawrence for Deshaun Watson, but you're trading Trevor Lawrence and that rookie contract, right? Or you've got the next four years, but otherwise for pretty damn cheap. But otherwise, you're getting two of them and two more draft picks where you can build the team. Do bigger. you like two or not? Because I if, you, if I, I wouldn't want to, if you don't like Tua, then yeah. who cares that I'm getting Tua? I'm yeah. getting Trevor Lawrence. That's the only thing that matters. The yeah. thing that matters is the quarterback. And if you're getting one that you believe in, right. and everybody believes that Trevor Lawrence is going to be good, I know though that Deshaun Watson is good. So it's really intriguing from the Jaguars' perspective for that. It's also really interesting for the Texans because man, if you're the Texans and you can get that number one pick, I I don't trust that organization to do anything right. Right, but. Trevor Lawrence is the kind of guy that can change everything they, for you. Now, they, the, the big caveat, of course, is that they play in the same division. So yeah. you don't want to be facing Deshaun Watson twice and a year. Would Watson approve it? Because he's got the no trade not. clause, and so he kind of yeah. determines where he's going here. Yeah. Texans seem like the team that would get the first overall pick and then draft like Kyle Trask with it or something. Yeah. They they would find no a way to mess to it Kyle, up. Mac but, uh, Jones, Mac Jones, first overall. You see that draft. kid in the title game? <laughs> taking Mac Jones. That would be the Raiders. The Raiders only watch the title game every right. year. It's it's Clemson and Alabama guys. That's the only players that they're That's selecting funny. from. Uh, but geez. not to your point, uh, BK. This is this is going to be a, a highly fascinating offseason. And you you have to wonder the domino effect too. I mean, you've got if Deshaun Watson goes someplace now, the Texans are are looking for a QB, whether that's through the draft or or they're they're kicking the tires on somebody. The Saints have, I mean, they are one hundred million dollars over the cap room over the uh, over the cap, and they've got to figure that out. Matthew Stafford is going somewhere. I think probably the Colts. That that seems to be the makes the most yeah, sense. that connects the most dots. But you know the lines now. What do you do? You're you're six or seventh. They're they're drafting. What is it? I think it's six, right or seventh? Seventh, I think. But you, I, if either you got, way, either way, you're not getting a quarterback that you thought you'd you get probably at that have point. To trade up, or if you're going to move get up. One. I mean, yeah. this is this is going to be from a quarter. I don't, we've never seen anything like this from a quarterback standpoint. If 
If you're the 49ers, do you just make the grandfather offer to Deshaun? Yeah, absolutely. Because that team's ready from every other perspective. They've got the coach. They've got the GM. They've got the defense in place. Now, Robert Solo leaves that hurts, but that's the one for me that I think makes the most sense. Last thing on this, and we'll let you guys get into the show. Jimmy G's got to approve the tra- a trade, too. That's the other. They can cut him. Th- that's that's the other element. Well, they could cut him, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy. See you, Jimmy. <laughs> See you, Jimmy. Thanks for the Super Bowl run, Jimmy. Appreciate Cost it. Three million bucks. So if you don't want to get traded, fine. We'll just cut you. You can go wherever you want See to. That's you, fine. buddy. Um, <laughs> it, is this the biggest quarterback move that we've ever seen in your opinion? Easily. I have never seen a 25 year old quarterback in his prime on a team friendly deal become available. He's going to make ten million dollars for wherever he goes next year. This, like your Falcons can't trade for him. They could if they wanted to. Yeah, he's a hometown kid. It's ten million bucks, huh? Yeah, they won't blow that Super Bowl then if they get them. Did you just ask? Should they do it? They may. They may blow a Super Bowl, but they'll get back there again next year. With with Watson, they could (laughs) confidence every year. Seriously, if any team that trades for Watson that is already a a solid team, you put him in the Falcons, and yeah, that's a contender next year. Absolutely, It, it really is. Yeah. They got the fourth overall pick, so they they've got some draft draft capital. And you know what they I'm could do get, too? I'm gonna get Salter excited they, here. They <laughs> too up. How, how do we make this work? Don't they, ruin it for them. They can get creative too because they got to clear some cap space as well. So maybe maybe you've got a couple of players going back Houston's way. Well, that's that's look, hurting if, from a cap. If Houston's situation. run the way we all think Houston's run, they'll probably love the idea of Matt Ryan being the future. What yeah. is the the highest number of first round picks as a Falcons fan that you'd be willing to give up for Deshaun Watson? Three. <laughs> he didn't even hesitate. I mean, do you have the fourth overall pick? So that's that's gonna that's gonna come with a lot of, uh, you know, draft, uh, whatever capital. capital, yeah, capital. So, but if you get Deshaun Watson, you're likely not drafting fourth overall next year, right? You're you're or in the twenties, hopefully, okay. hopefully thirty two, okay, right? Alex, you're drafting 32 next year, maybe 32 for the next yeah, couple of years. 32 in the first half, 31 in the second. Half. I think I'd be willing to go four. I'll, I'll give you my next four first round. For wow. th- that guy changes Damn. everything. He changes every. He's twenty five years old. He's in the pri- He hasn't even entered the prime of his career, and you're you're bringing that guy into our locker room with a brand new coach that's on the same timeline as Deshaun Watson. You can trade Matt Ryan. Figure out what you do there. I don't even care. And you've got great weapons for him already. That defense isn't as bad as people make it out to be. You're getting mm. some health back on that side of the ball. You can convince yourself going into next year that you could actually win something. All right, who do I have to call? Next four. Who do I have to call? For Let's make this happen. Alex Ferrario and Tanner <laughs> Hendrickson, I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. The Fast Lane's coming up next. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.